All right. Tony, Larry, Mike today, gentlemen. I can't believe it. Ric Flair, totally exhausted, and perhaps for good reason. He and Bischoff, head on at Starcade on the 27th on pay-per-view. Stay tuned, we've got more action right after this. This man has hurt himself. Might get somebody here. All right, wait, hold up now. Security. Fans Flair. Arn Anderson has run out. This is... Flair was so emotional, he... I mean, he... he he just spent himself in that interview and those elbow drops flares and there's only one guy that I gotta prove something to and he's six foot six more handsome than ten movie stars and his name is Scott Hall. That's one of those tasers, the police shoot. It's like a stun gun. That was, that was Scott Hall. That was Scott Hall. You could hear it clicking. It was like a, like a cattle prod or a stun gun. Kevin Nash never saw that. And he jabbed it in the midsection of Goldberg. Oh, no. Wait a minute. He... It's always nostalgia for an age yet to come on the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. Hello, everybody. My name is Rory McNamara. Thank you very much for joining me for our December 1998 sojourn through retro wrestling goodness. World Championship Wrestling is our focus here. Five shows for you this festive season. Volume 2, Part 1 is our first WWF show, where we'll be looking at the Capital Carnage pay-per-view. Part 2, all your normal news, reviews, TV reports, and the Rock Bottom pay-per-view. Volume 3, ECW, as they march towards their January pay-per-view. And, oh yes, it's back again, Volume 4, the, that's the awards show. I wonder how many things we discuss over the next two and a half hours will be featuring in the good and bad of that one. But for now, before we get there, this is indeed Volume 1. And joining me to talk about World Championship Wrestling this month, we have Bob Colling. Bob, hello. How you guys doing? Very well. And we have Eric Landstrom. Rory, I can't help but notice you put Capital Carnage as uh, Volume One this month. You Homer, how do you how you doing, buddy? <laughs> That's uh, <laughs> chronology only. Chronology. And besides, I'm from Birmingham. That took place in London, so you know, was a bit of a rivalry there. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> before we get on to uh, internet sign rivalries in this country, what's been happening in World Championship Wrestling this month, Eric? Tell us the news. Uh, one seventy-three and one. 
You heard him right, listeners. 173 and 1. The streak. The streak is over. Bill Goldberg no longer undefeated and indeed no longer the world heavyweight champion. For he was defeated in the main event of Starcade 1998 by one Kevin Nash via a jackknife powerbomb 20 seconds after being hit by a Scott Hall cattle prod. That's not a euphemism. Being hit by a Scott Hall cattle prod. And that, after all that, 15 months after he first squashed Hugh Morris in the middle of a random Nitro in September, everything that this has led to, the US title, the world title, it is now all over. And you better believe we'll be talking about that later on, as well as, Eric? To be the man, you've got to obey the man. You do now. Right, let me tell you how we got there. The other main event... (laughs) Sticks in my craw to say that. But the other main event at Starcade was indeed Ric Flair against Eric Bischoff. (laughs) And once again, listeners, do not adjust your set because Eric Bischoff defeated Ric Flair by pinfall after interference by Kurt Hennig, who we haven't seen for two months. Yes, is it all trying to make sense to you yet? Because it certainly isn't me. And the next day, we had a rematch between Flair and Bischoff because one match between them was just not enough. In which if Flair lost, he would retire. Sounds familiar. But if he won, he would take control of the company for 90 days from Eric Bischoff. And he did. In a match also notable for the return of Randy Savage, or 50 extra pounds worth of him. And again, we will discuss that much later on. WCW. NBC. WTF. This one came out of nowhere. Yes, World Championship Wrestling have confirmed with NBC, yes, that NBC, at least two primetime specials to air early next year. The dates for those shows are February the 14th, which is the date of a WWF pay-per-view, and March the 28th, which is a date of the WWF pay-per-view, if you get my drift. Now, February the 14th has become available because it was initially meant to be the date of the NBA All-Star Game. But the NBA lockout is currently going on, which Eric will tell you about in a second, freeing up that date. Eric, for the uninitiated, or me, what is the NBA lockout? Sure. Basically, it's a dispute between the players' union uh, of the league and the league itself, the owners and the commissioner. That's uh, that's led to the delay of the NBA uh, season Uh the 1998-99 season was set to begin in uh, October this year. Uh, the regular season, preseason, would have started all the way back in August. Uh, and now here uh, at, in December when we're recording this, uh, this show, uh, the play still has not gotten underway. And so the thought now is that the league has lost too much of the season to salvage it, and they're probably looking at other things to fill up those, those dates because uh, the NBA does not look likely uh, to, to play a season uh, until this time next year, if if ever. Expertly done. That reminds me of, I don't know if you've heard this story, but some uh, Albert Einstein's chauffeur. Uh, he drove him to speeches for years and years and years, and he heard his speech on the theory of relativity hundreds of thousands of times, and he knew it word for word. So when he's driving Einstein there, one day he says to him, Albert, you've done this so many times, I bet you that I could stand in for you during this talk and recite the whole thing word for word. And Einstein agreed, dressed up as a chauffeur, and his chauffeur 
disguised himself reasonably well as Einstein, and he did do he did indeed do the entire speech on the theory of relativity. No stumbling, no nothing. However, then a student asked him a question, a rather tough one, to which the chauffeur replied, Oh, the answer to your question is easy. In fact, it is so easy, I will get my chauffeur to answer it for you. <laughs> that is what this reminded me of, because I could have said that myself, that Eric, I just wanted to give you the opportunity. It's Christmas time. That's the kind of guy I am. But yes, going back to that new story, WWF were actually negotiating with NBC, but... For whatever reason, there's going to be no return for Saturday night's main events. The main suggestion being given for why they favoured World Championship Wrestling this time is due to certain ageing stars. You know who they are. No news yet as to what the specials will be, but the fact they're going to be going up against whatever the February pay-per-view is and the small matter of WrestleMania means that this could be seen as revenge for some of the Survivor Series, WrestleMania 4, WrestleMania 5 situations we had not so long ago. So... Keep it posted. This has only been mentioned in these sheets so far. We're hoping next month there will be definite news on that. And we will, of course, bring it to you first. And we're also bringing to you a giant contract offer. With a slight correction from last month, yes, the Giants has not definitely left at this point. His current contract does still expire at the end of February, but it has been leaked to the dirt sheets that WCW are still in the process of making him an offer, offering him more money incrementally over three years, 850000 950000 and $1 million for each of those years, which is believed WWF cannot match, or not at least if Vince doesn't offer more money over a longer period of time, because, of course, that went so well a couple of years ago. I'm sad to say that a few weeks ago, at the beginning of this month, for another rather unsavory story, it's a hotel where he was telling some reports are sketchy on this. Some say it was a fellow guest. Some say it was somebody working at the hotel in which he offered to show why he was called the giant. Ugh. Oh, no. I oh, know, which involved exposing himself to, and you can fill in the gaps if you really want to. It is not said yet whether he will face criminal charges. Again, we'll keep you posted on that. One thing that might actually sway the giants is that Eric Bischoff, despite that very handsome contract offer, has been regularly making fun of him in the back week after week, calling him fat and lazy with bosses like that. And Eric, bring us home for the news this month. And extreme signings. How is that? Chris Lacey would be very proud of that one. Yes, in addition to the Sandman, which I will get to in a second, sadly, Mikey Whipwreck and Chastity have signed deals with World Championship Wrestling this month. No news on what they're being paid. <laughs> Does it really matter? Apparently, Chastity is going to be involved in the current Raven angle, playing his sister. Sandman, who we know will be renamed, is going to be playing, get this, Raven's long-lost friend. <laughs> Keeping the chronology there, are they not? And Micah Whipwreck will be a plucky jobber, I am sure. News on any more ECW people arriving is currently quite sketchy, but we are told that Bishop is trying to mine them best he possibly can. And once again, we will, of course, tell you first. Thank you very much for that fine bit of headline reading there, Eric. And I shall now bring everybody the ratings for the month. And you can probably guess who came out on top. On the 30th of November, it was a dead five for Raw against Nitro's 4.2. And they polled a 4.2 for the next two weeks on the 7th and 14th, again in losing efforts to Raw's 5.1s. December the 21st, remember the go-home show for Starcade, they dropped down to a 3.7. Raw Hill sway with a 4.7. 
And we have just got the ratings for the final Nitro of the month and of the year. Nitro actually went up to a 4.6, but Raw did too, to a 4.8. So you still have to go back to the Nitro after Halloween Havoc for a WCW ratings victory. I think people are going to be getting some itchy feet backstage. <coughs> and just before we dive in for the month, don't forget, everybody, we are now on Patreon. You can find us on there. Just, just $1 a month gives you early access to all shows as soon as they are edited. You do not need to wait for the end of month splurge. They will be with you ahead of the game. If you wish to drop us $5 a month, you will get yourself monthly bonus content. At the end of this show, I will tell you what you can expect for December. You can find us anywhere now, including on Spotify, with the archive going all the way back to July 1993. Everyone else was doing it. I didn't think it would hurt to try. I never thought I'd become addicted to Monday Night Jericho. I never imagined that I, like millions of others, will become a Jericho-holic. Turn off the light! I'm filming commercials! You're ruining everything! Stop the camera! Get your Jericho-holics anonymous t-shirt for only $20. Call 1-800-WCW-8661 or write to the address on your screen. Filming a commercial here! Stop it! We start December in front of 31,000 fans at the Houston Astrodome. We learn the WCW Championship Committee have granted Goldberg a non-title match, I don't know either, against Bam Bam later tonight. Scott Steiner is here. Only two things come out of Texas, steers and queers. He asks for a standing ovation for the retired Hogan and is left hanging. The crowd also do not get on their knees for the new leader of the NWO. Tonight though will be Scott Hall's last night in wrestling as he wants a match with him. First, though, we have Kendall Wyndham against DDP, and it should be a good one. Oh, Tony. Diamond Cutter off the ropes wraps this up quickly. Norman Smiley versus Prince Iakea. More of that later. Norman wins here with a cross-faced chicken wing. What a plebeian. Ray invites Eddie out for a chat. He is furious at Ray for signing a contract to face Hoovy for a cruiserweight title shot on Thunder. Ray's punishment is to face Silver King now, and a head spike off the top gets him the win. Ray, obviously. Goldberg and Nash have a brief conversation backstage. Kev does not want the winning streak compromised tonight. I don't think you need to worry much there, Big Sexy. Speaking of which, here's Roth against the Renegade. Speaking of compromised winning streaks, here's Roth defeating the Renegade. Chavo and Disco go be Stevie and Horace. Spike Piledriver, yes that again, gets the W for the New World Order. Here comes the perturbed Kevin Nash. If Goldberg thinks he's running the show, he's not. Tonight's main event is now a three-way dance. Hey, hang on. Kev, you can't just make matches. Oh, right. You can. Glacier against Saturn for now. Miller goes to kick Perry, but he ducks, so Glacier gets nailed. The ref rightly gives Glacier the DQ win, but this bamboozles are very stupid commentators. This Emery Hale match is giving me a rash. Luger takes it with the rack in good time. After a very funny, exposed Pro Wrestling's Greatest Secrets parody, Jericho is against Duncan Jr. again. Thankfully, he wins with a victory roll with feet on the ropes. The Giant destroys Scott Putsky and then takes the mic. You people think Paige is Santa Claus? Well, this year, I'm the Grinch. At Starcade, you will get a sleigh ride like you never imagined. And his present is... The Chokeslam! I am determined to perfect that before he leaves. 
if he leaves. The horsemen are here, but Canyon interrupts, but he can't persuade Raven to join him. The odds are against him, so he won't wrestle tonight. He mocks the horsemen though, but Arn sees to that with a crowbar. Flair then joins them. Bischoff's dictatorship is about to come to an end. He does his usual run-through of legends in order to prove his point, and then says he's going to squeeze that bitty neck until his eyes pop out. He will tell Rick he respects him, because WCW is bigger than Bischoff. Book Abby Conan. Stevie is in for the DQ and dares Book to hit him. Yet once more they just argue their way to the end of the segment. Hall tells Steiner, I'm too stupid to quit. Don't sing it, bring it. He can, but the NWO ref can't because he's been tied up. Literally. The black and white are in for the quick DQ, but then both Luger and Paige even the odds. Gene brings out Brett. He waffles on about maybe beating DDP again one day. Oh, and the US title proves his own greatness. Yeah. Nash is indeed in before Goldberg before the main event. He beats on Bam Bam, Goldberg beats on him, Bama beats on them both, and security do their thing as we fade to black. After the usual 10 zillion recaps, we begin on the 14th with Scott Putsky versus Raven, or we would if Canyon didn't come out to tell Putsky to skedaddle. He tells Raven he has no reason to complain due to his rich upbringing, because of course money equals happiness, more about that shortly. Raven walks away again, and this time I don't blame him. Pass me the abacus, it's Viano... 5! He is up against Eddie. After a good match, Guerrero hits the frog splash, but pulls off the cover at 2. The LWO hit the ring to end it, okay, and of course Viano accepts the offer of membership that we all knew was coming. Roth is stuck at square 1 with Al Green. He wins, but it's over. Gene talks the Bischoff. The boss has not bitten off more than he can chew. Flair should have been put out of pasture a long time ago. I am a trained killer and a dangerous man. He tells us how much his left hand scares even him. No, just no, <laughs> before Flair mercifully runs in. Bischoff makes a break for it and Mermin Nature Boy takes the interview himself. At Washington, he will strangle Eric half to death. He elbow drops the mat a few times and after telling Eric he has no heart, he then retreats to the corner, holding his chest. Oh god. And yes, we're going to come back to this. For some reason, Bam Bam and Scott Hall have a scrap backstage as Flair is getting put into the ambulance. Nash and Goldberg then intervene, with security earning their keep again. They all seem to want a match, and Terry Taylor makes it happen. Uh-huh. Kidman has a chat with Oakland. He brings out Ray after his LWO-led no-contest with Hoovy on Thunder. He wants a fair match with Mysterio right now, and we get it. The commentators are distracted from this excellent outing. Of course, the Latino World Order are in for the no-contest. Jericho is here to have a go at Conan. Fine by me. The Lionheart isn't bowdy-bowdy, but he doesn't want to be. He reenacts the robbery of his title Bay K-Dog in typically entertaining fashion. You can't stop rock and roll, and I am too legit to quit. Emery Hale versus Barry Windham, just like old times, the superplex gets it done. Norman Smiley versus Saturn, ref bump, cat in, kick to Saturn, Dickinson in, fast count, fuck ref angles. Another interview with Brett. He puts the US belt on the line against Paige right now, but the giant jumps DDP from behind with a chair in the aisleway and a choke slams him right through the set. Conan is accosted by Eddie in the back, but he is still not leaving the Wolfpack. 
He beat Stevie Ray with the faceplant to retain the TV title. A sober looking Bishop is back. He does the ashen faced serious thing and tells us injuries can be real. Flair has suffered what we hope to be a mild heart attack. Ric Flair deserves credit and respect. He apologises to his family and can't wait to see him in action again. Here's Booker. Stevie intervenes immediately. Nobody cares about Booker. He only joined the NWO because his brother made him, Stevie says. I helped you and that's what you did to me. And in the back, Raven's mum wants to see Scott. When did WCW become 40s plus? Hall and Horace. The B team are in for the DQ. Disco Inferno comes to the rescue. Well, he tries anyway. And I'm sure we will not see that happen again this month. <clears throat> Scott Steiner beats Hammer with the recliner. He takes the mic afterwards and wants to talk to Luger. He and Buff suggest that the Wolfpack don't really want him. In the black and white, he will get title shots. They offer him a spot, but he just laughs and walks away. So here is our triangle main event. We get a few minutes of this pointless match until Hall steps in. He and Bam Bam square off whilst Goldberg and Nash brawl to the black. My mother was never there for me. What about me? What about Raven? What about getting over it? Oh. No one cares. No one cares about the pain I have to suffer. Look at you with your easy lives. Everything falling right into place. What about me? What about Raven? Uh, oh, I'm begging you. Putsky, Putsky, obviously he's not going to wrestle tonight. This doesn't concern you. See you later. See ya. Leave. Leave. This does not concern you. Leave. Raven, once again, once again, I'm going to tell you, nobody, and I mean nobody, gets more airtime without wrestling than you. I'm sick of it. Everybody in the back is sick of it. All these people are sick of it. And all you do is complain. All you do is bitch and moan. And I don't understand why. I had a rough canyon. I had a miserable childhood. You know I did. A miserable childhood. No, you didn't have a miserable childhood. What nobody out here knows is that Raven... Don't tell them, Canyon, they Raven don't need to know... Raven went to an Ivy League school. That's fine. Raven That's has a degree in pre-med. That's fine. Raven, since before he can even remember, had a $3.2 million trust fund. You're rich, Raven. You don't have to work another day in your life, but all you do is complain. You grew up a rich, spoiled kid in the paradise known as Palm Beach, Florida. You had the pick. You had the pick of all the young, rich debutantes that ran around Palm Beach, and yet you claim you're miserable, that you had a hard childhood. When Raven was 16 years old, 
his parents bought him a Mercedes. My mother never loved me, Canyon. Your, mo your mother didn't love you. You know, Raven, I know you've got problems. No, your biggest problem is you've had it too easy. That's your problem. You've had it too easy. So there you will have heard the first two TVs of the month. Not a whole lot going on, if I'm perfectly honest. Much like last month from the first Nitro, only a tremendous piece from Chris Jericho is worth talking about, where he did his own parody of the exposed Pro Wrestling's Greatest Secrets, which you will have heard earlier. The man is on a different level at the moment. Talk that he could still be going. He's still not signing that new contract. If I was World Championship Wrestling, I would lock him in very, very quickly. But, however, we do have lots to talk about on the second Nitro of the month, December the 14th. A storyline which began in earnest at the very beginning of that edition of Nitro, where Raven was due to face, I believe, Scott Putsky, and he didn't want to do so. <laughs> you can't really blame him for that. But once again, he was moping in the corner, looking all very sad and sorry for himself. And Canyon, who's sort of his kind of friend, kind of confidant, kind of shoulder to cry on kind of thing, I'm still not entirely sure, Basically, just tore him up for three or four minutes, saying that you've got nothing to feel sad about. You come from a rich family. Come on now. Snap out of it, which I did not like at all. The unspoken implication being that Raven cannot possibly be depressed because he is rich, which is a very, very dangerous road to go down. A bit later on in that show, we saw somebody playing Raven's mother, who is not actually his mum in real life, demanding to speak to Scott which again, where you're blurring the lines of fact and of blurring the lines of art and reality, probably a little too closely if you're making vague allusions to depression, which we did indeed get as well on the final Nitro when we had a brief skit of Raven and Canyon and his mother appearing at her house, which indeed is very lavish indeed, with once again everybody telling us that Raven has been sent to the hospital. Once again, they haven't really said what the reason is, but I don't like what they're going for here, Eric. A, I don't like seeing Raven playing a spoilt brat. And B, I do not like the suggestion that it is impossible for anybody to be depressed if they have lots of money and nice things, because it doesn't work like that. I'm going to split your, your your things, because I, I resoundingly agree with the second part. Go ahead. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that requires any, any further discussion. The first part, though, I was kind of getting into... Uh, just because I've always kind of thought, well, this Raven character is a little bit one-dimensional, and there's got to be something in his past. And credit to WCW for at least trying to give some character some type of backstory and build him into a, a, a well-rounded uh, character instead of just a, a, a wrestler. Uh, they've really always failed to build these guys um, like this. And so I was into it. Uh, but the other the second part of it that we talked about uh really does dampen the whole thing you know if raven was a spoiled entitled dick or he was uh you know doing something else something nefarious and that's why he had this relationship with his upbringing and his background that's kind of where i was hoping they would go with it and that was something where when you hear that like the sandman is coming in to be involved with it you can kind of see how it could harken back to some of those early 90s cheesy wcw vignette storylines that aren't great but i always found them entertaining and if something's not going to be great at least make it entertaining but um all of that said uh completely clouded uh probably uh 
without any sort of redemption or redemptive quality uh, by the, the secondary issues with the depression and things like that, because that is very dangerous territory for a wrestling company. I say it was unspoken, but it was clear. That was absolutely what Canyon was telling him on the December 14th Nitro. He might as well have just said, man up for all the good it did. And I thought that was horrible. What do you think of all of this, Bob? Uh, yeah, I'm not a fan of it. We are talking about like a backstory of a character, and I'm going to kind of compare it to the uh, ECW run where he has a hatred for Dreamer because he stole the girl and all this stuff. And this is just a watered-down, poorly executed example of it. Um, because you look at through everything, he, are we to assume that everything he's done is because he's a depressed, rich kid? Like he's, I guess, like revolting against his family or whatever the case may be. I mean, I don't really... I don't find really connected to it in the whole narrative of, Hey, you're rich. Why are you upset? Um, it's kind of like, it's, it's, it's kind of tasteless of a storyline, but I mean, can we really be surprised with WCW considering what they did with Scott Hall just a couple of months ago with the alcohol and kind of trying to, um, exploit certain things. I don't think this type of character development would give me any kind of sympathy towards the guy. I'd rather him just be, a loner whiner guy without having the rich kid kind of backdrop to it. Yes, I agree. I do give them some credit. I give them none for the execution, <laughs> but I give them some credit for them trying to do something a little bit different with Raven. But it harkens back to what we discussed in the summer of 97 when he first came in, when for the first couple of months we were on these very programs saying, are they just going to try and reheat his ECW character? Are they going to tell those stories again? And they did with Richard, so they burned through 18 months worth in about 18 days. Hmm. And Raven's been kind of spinning his wheel since then. It's. I feel like the flock is going to be more fondly remembered than it should be. They never really got off level one, in my opinion. We never really explained truly why they were there. Went on for a very long time, and somebody who's actually got a lot of mileage out of it, we'll talk about when we get to Starcade. But it was just a collection of misfits or supposed misfits. But I never really got what Raven was trying to do with them. It's yeah, I probably compared him to David Koresh a few months ago, but that was probably more me trying to put some meat on the storyline bones rather than anything WCW were telling us about it. And now it looks like he's got an actual character. But I'm with you, Bob. I just can't really get behind spoiled rich kid as a heel because I don't really think it's some, anything people particularly want to boo. But at the same time, it's certainly not something to... You know, he is not going to be presented as a babyface in this. Now, if anybody's, it's going to be Canyon and, God help us, his mother. And I'm sure to think where we're going to be going with that over the next few months. Uh, given, what the, given the writing team we currently have at World Championship Wrestling, my hopes for this one are low. But... I always say this on these shows. I commend creative teams for trying to give people something to do. And that is one of the benefits of where we are with the whole wrestling business at the moment. In all three promotions, there are very few people not really doing anything. There are still a few, which when we talk about Starcade, we will, I will rip them apart in no uncertain terms. But 98% of the time, everybody exists for a reason within their storyline world. And that is something I want to see continue. But I just don't really see the end game here. 
do we find out that Raven isn't really rich? Or I don't know, I'm just projecting it's not really his mom or something stupid like that. I mean, if it's just going to something which will end in, say, two or three months' time in a 10-minute match on a B pay-per-view in the mid-card against Canyon, then it's just another waste of time. I thought at the start, this isn't just me being wise after the event, I thought at the start that Raven would be a rather odd fit in World Championship Wrestling, and I haven't seen anything yet to change my mind. But stay tuned to us. We will keep you posted as it develops month. Rory. After what I fear will be long month. Yes, Eric. Sorry to cut you off there, but like if we talk about this a lot on ECW, uh, Lacey and I over the last couple of months, but if if Raven can't get going in WCW, how the hell is the Sandman or anybody else from that company even stand a chance? Precisely. I did think as much as I thought Raven wasn't going to be a fit, and I believe I was probably proved right, I still thought he could kind of talk his way out of it because he's he isn't just all about the hardcore. Sandman is. Mikey Whipwreck is. I, I, I shudder to think how they are going to be presented. I just, I think Mikey, if you know, if Mikey just comes in as a standard jobber, well, they've got fifty people on the roster who can do that anyway, and I just don't see Sandman bursting in through the ring, smashing a beer can over his head and whopping people with kendo sticks. It's just not the, it's just not the environment for it here. Bob, do you do you agree with that? Well, I I got a couple of things I want to uh, mention here, or just kind of provide some commentary input on uh so with with raven there is a, an approach that they could potentially go with to make this all make a little bit of sense he could be uh, like an awkward rich kid growing up like in school maybe i don't know if you guys in school could relate to this but there may have been rich kids that are socially awkward yes they don't, they don't have they don't have friends that's true if raven is this rich kid maybe the flock or people that he has been paying to essentially be his friends. And Canyon is one of those guys. And to some extent, maybe he's trying to wake him up like, Hey man, what's you know, I'm, I'm your only friend here. You know, why are you so down and stuff like that? So I think there is a potential way of incorporating all this and having make it make sense, not necessarily good sense, but having it make sense. And then in regard to the Sandman Mikey uh, Whipwreck, Sandman is a guy where he needs to be heavily edited to appreciate his act. Uh, as someone who watches the ECW fan cams that are recorded and watches you know, 15 to 18 minutes of Sandman, good Lord, is it awful compared to the four minutes that you see on Hardcore TV? <laughs> Secondly... With Mikey Whipwreck, I don't think having him be labeled as just a jobber is an appropriate description. I mean, Whipwreck has talent. He has in-ring ability compared to a Sandman. Having him involved in a cruiserweight division could really work well for him, uh, working with guys like a Kidman, like a Rey Mysterio or Juventud Guerrero, but having him have that hardcore aspect to him would maybe even liven up the division instead of have it just be nothing but suicide dives and 450 splashes and whatnot, which are exciting. But when you see them, you know, four or five matches a week, it may water down. Meanwhile, you have Mikey Whipwreck maybe using a chair, something similar to what Rob Van Dam is doing in ECW. Maybe he yeah. could bring that in there because, you know, they steal things all the time. So why not put it with Mikey? So oh, I'm all I think, into this. Yeah, this is great. Yeah. yeah so I think Mikey would have a significantly better chance of 
succeeding in ECW compared to a Sandman. Um, Sandman would be better off in, in short, very short doses, uh, in, in, in limited fashion. Uh, but I, I would have seeing like a signing of Mikey Whipper, like I would immediately be like, okay, I can maybe get behind this. Well, if it's true and Terry Taylor does leave to go back to WWF next year and there is a gap in the creative team, I think we can fill it with Mr. Bob Colling Jr., can we not? Oh, hey, look at that. I did something. <laughs> there you go. And you will definitely be Mr. Perfect, literally Mr. Perfect to his Red Rooster on this one. Oh, perfect. And we will see over the next few months whether whether your – I was going to call them predictions. I'm going to let, – let's say hopes, shall we, come to fruition. Yeah, I mean, that, that's what you have to do. I mean – Absolutely. I feel like WCW, when it comes to guys from ECW, they've used some of them well, like your you know, Benoit's and whatnot. They've had pretty good roles, but these guys are lesser names, essentially, in, in, in ring ability with the guy like Sandman. So I'm just trying to look at peak of what they can do. Like, I'm not anticipating Sandman to win the television title or anything like that, or like a U.S. title or nothing. But I think Mikey Whipwreck, if I saw that signing, I could see him being Cruiserweight champion. I don't see why not. And being a, a cheap ripoff of what Rob Van Dam is doing. <laughs> cheap ripoffs World Championship Wrestling. Whoever heard of such a thing? No, yeah, never. <laughs> Jim, Jimmy Hart's already in the studio. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> right, baby. Right. Okay, we need to stay serious really after that. Um, from depression to heart attacks. Yes, it's all festive cheer of World Championship Wrestling today. And you! You aristocrat, you pencil neck, when I get you in Washington, D.C. Uh-oh. Oh! I'm gonna strangle you! a couple of weeks out from Starcade. I'm going to reach down inside your skinny little neck, grab what heart you have, and pull it out to show the world you have no heart. All right. Tony, Larry, Mike today, gentlemen. I can't believe it. Ric Flair, totally exhausted, and perhaps for good reason. He and Bischoff, head on at Starcade on the 27th on pay-per-view. Stay tuned, we've got more action right after this. This man has hurt himself. Might get somebody here. All right, wait, hold up now. Security. Fans Flair. Arn Anderson has run out. This is... Flair was so emotional, he... I mean, he, 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 he just spent himself in that interview and those elbow drops, flares and... Arn Anderson, uh, there's a sense of urgency here, fans, so stay right with us here. Was it, is, is it his, his shoulder? I don't know. No. Papering his arm, his elbow, his shoulder, what is it? No idea, fans. Oh, I know, it's Bischoff got way 
underneath the skin too much. It's, it's driving Flair insane. Yeah, our trainer Danny Young has come out. Uh, now, that's uh, David Crockett who's in charge of our on-site production. And this is... himself here in the ring Art Anderson has joined him now even Dusty Rhodes is here there's tremendous concern get it off get the camera off on the December 14th Nitro Ric Flair was cutting a Ric Flair promo you know the one <laughs> the one he cuts these days on Eric Bischoff he was in the ring for about two or three minutes and he got to the line saying that Bischoff you have no heart. Remember that word, no heart. There, he paused. He took a step back. He healed round about his heart come shoulder area. And he collapsed in the corner. Everybody paused. They didn't know what to do. The commentators put on their serious voices. Arn Anderson and various officials came to ringside. He was put on a stretcher. And we found out later in the show that Ric Flair had suffered a mild heart attack. Now, as I'm sure you know, listening to this program, he suffered that mild heart attack only in storyline. Later on, the storyline developed to the point where it was suggested he was poisoned, but we'll get to that later. But yes, a heart attack. And you would think for something this serious that everybody, everybody would be clued in on it. Uh-uh. Very few of Ric Flair's closest friends were told about this even. Charles Robinson, not told. Dave Penzer, not told. Doug Dillinger, he's somebody you don't want to upset. Not told. I suppose in a way it is credit to Flair that he was able to make this look so convincing. But we just... Bob, you should not be playing around with this sort of thing on your television shows anyway. But if you are and you absolutely have to make an angle of this... Spoiler alert for what I'll say in a couple of minutes. You don't. But if you absolutely have to, you've got to let people know about this sort of thing. What, what do you gain from keeping something as serious like this a secret? This is this is just awful. Okay. You don't tell his close friends. You don't tell the security guy by ringside. You don't tell pretty much anybody that we're going to work the boys and we're going to make this into an angle where Ric Flair is having a heart attack. If I were any of the guys that you mentioned, not only would I be pissed off at a guy like Eric Bischoff or whoever's writing this angle, I would look at Ric Flair and ask you, what the fuck are you doing? To have it be like, oh, you're going to have a heart attack. And I'm going to be sitting in the back like, I didn't know this was going on. Is Ric Flair about that? I would be, if it's a close friend of mine, I'm going to be running into that ring, checking in on him. Now, maybe... Maybe that's the approach they're going for. Maybe they want the authenticity of, wow, this guy's you know, really dying. You want to compare, let's compare it to, like I mentioned in the last month's ECW show when I wasn't uh, drinking alcohol. The, <laughs> you compare it to like what uh, like Jerry Lawler and Eddie Gilbert did with the uh, you know, hitting of the car. If, if they don't tell anybody and Eddie Gilbert just runs over Jerry Lawler with a car, what the hell are people going to say? Are they going to be... They're gonna shoot him. It's Memphis. Yeah, like, they're gonna. Eddie Gilbert. <laughs> Eddie Gilbert would have died five years before he did. <laughs> yeah. Like, what are we doing? 
it's a completely unnecessary thing to do. It is, I don't know what they have thought about doing here in the last three months of 1998, where you're, I have, like I just, like I mentioned earlier, you're exploiting Scott Hall's demons to, with a feud for, with like, he has a match with Conan, for Christ's sakes. I mean, it's not even like a top level feud or anything before leading into the one with Nash, but this, to me, it's it's really offensive that they would make something so personal and try to capitalize on it. And I don't know how quickly they mentioned that it was a mild heart attack or whatever um, as soon as it had happened. But, you know, if you do something like that, I feel like you don't go an hour later and say, oh, well, he's fine. Oh, it's just a mild heart attack. I would want to, if you're, if you're really going to go for it and you're going to be that tasteless, you might as well go full board with it and be like, well, we're not going to tell you if he's okay for a month. He's going to be in the hospital and really, you know, drive it up. But to do it for, you know, a, a 10 minute interview with a match against a non wrestler at your that. biggest event. Um, yeah, I just, I'm getting like heated as it is. I have to like open a window or something. It's like negative 13 degrees outside right now. I mean, it's just really, I was not a fan of, of the approach here. Anything else you need to add to that, Eric? Go right ahead. The, the, Bob, you covered the tastelessness of it and uh, all of that stuff so so beautifully. But I think we also need to point out the fact that like Ric Flair, the the character, Ric Flair, the the television character who still gets the biggest pop every Monday night when he walks out on Nitro, wherever they are, for the most part, um, his character has been so diminished. The, the 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 allure of Ric Flair, the 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 essence of Ric Flair has been so diminished over the last f- four or five years, even basically, ever since he got done feuding with Vader and Hogan came in, Rick has just been used as a pawn in other people's storylines, and he's taken a lot of clean losses from guys you wouldn't think he would ever take clean losses to. He put over Hogan until the cows came home, and now we have Ric Flair, who's I think still in his forties. Um, which isn't all that old in real life, having a very real life serious issue of having a heart attack in the ring and making him seem like this, like even his health has failed him at this point. Everything else, his skills, his myth, all of that has failed. And now even Ric Flair is failing. And it's just really gross and sad that they're, that Rick's allowing this to happen or that he's been compelled to do this. I don't know. It's so tasteless. I'd like to, I'd like to think that Ric Flair wouldn't, agree to do this to his character he's always been so giving in the ring but this is ridiculous right so it's just sad to see this this one of the more most mythical you know pictures of a professional wrestling character that you would see just be diminished to this it's you know from a from a viewing standpoint it's it's terrible as and tasteless as it is from a from a booking standpoint it's so easy to say it's sat here but I just wish he had said to Bischoff backstage, regardless of all the things they've been through over the last eight eight or so months, I just wish he'd said to him, nope, not doing that. Why didn't he just go to the Fed? Like, he could be so great over there, entwined with Vince and Austin and having matches and being kind of that 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 bridge between Vince and Austin who can be he can be one of the corporate executives but he can still have big matches it'd be so perfect for him and yet he stays loyal to WCW for why Joy to the world it's nearly Starcade time and we start the journey home in St Louis with Finley V Putski 
and a tombstone sorted out. We see footage from Thunder of Bischoff mock apologising to the Flair family. This includes low-blowing his son David and planting a kiss on his wife Beth. Hmm, pays to be the boss. Miller does that thing where he tells a silent crowd to shut up. Santa is here to interrupt. The cat wants to beat him up, but Saint Nick fights back first. It's Saturn of course, so we get plenty of suplexes. But why no Northern Lights? Thank you, I'm here all week. Charvo sees off Kaz with the Tornado DDT. Nash is here and he gives a shout out to Goldberg and his name gets a few boos it must be said. His mic echoes like it's Nuremberg or something. At one time in my career I was a world champion and had 197 title defences. Fact check, can we get a fact check? Like Bill, he did what the company told him but he's not going to do that now. Bill, get focused. And here's his peroration. To be the man, you've got to beat the man. And on Sunday, I'm going to kick your ass. Kev, look at the adjective. Tenuous. Gene brings out Raven. His mother is only trying to get herself on TV and doesn't really care about him. Canyon tries to mock, but Raven just punches him. His mum then tells him not to hit his friends. Scotty, you need help. Bishop is out now, and it's apology time again. Today he's sorry that Flair can't be here, but the horseman can be seen coming through the parking lot, and the lobby, and the backstage area. They fend off Norton, and now Flair makes it to the ring. He chases Eric all the way out of the arena, and then takes about a huge We Want Flair chance. He don't need no doctor. Roth does Roth things to Lismark Jr., but it's still over. Eddie tells Ray before their match that he is rapidly losing patience with him. I'm certainly not losing patience with their matches though, and this is their best since Havoc 97 I say. Cheap finish though, as Kidman shows up to nail Guerrero, but he ducks and Mysterio eats it, allowing a roll up for the pin. Holler if you hear me, says Steiner, but over this ropey mic, I'm not sure anybody can. He brings out Mark Maguire, but of course it is buff in disguise. He likes doing that way too much. He couldn't hit many home runs without Andrustine. His shirt is donated to the NWO Hall of Fame, but of course it gets thrown in the trash, and they burn the cap for good measure. Smiley V the Prince, Norm locks in the chicken wing for the easy win. Hammer against Wyndham lasts for seconds before Flair does Flair stuff to Baza, complete with multiple diabolical ball shots. The NWO try to intervene, but the horsemen soon put a stop to that. They end up fighting backstage and get put in cuffs. Flair and Arn are still in the ring though, He's been a son of a bitch for 25 years, but his wife and kids forgave everything he did. Bischoff tried to shit-can his career, and that is unbleeped, but he couldn't do it. Last week he stepped over the line, and now Bischoff gets security to cuff him too. As he shepherded off, he tells the boss that with God as his witness, he will kill him. We calm down a bit, with Booker drop-kicking Jerry Flynn off the top for a win. Luca racks chaos, after the latter has a Barney with Rage. The Tequila Sunrise puts down Alex Wright to retain the TV title. The Wunderkind then throws a tantrum very similar to Jericho's exactly a year ago. The Lionheart himself uses the distraction to beat on K-Dog and steal the belt. The Giant gives Disco the Super Chokeslam treatment. At Starcade, he will give Paige more pain than he can ever imagine. The DDP answers him from the crowd. I am going to stick these hands around that fat head of yours. Fat head. He actually says this. So, only Goldberg Hall to go now. 
Nash watches on from outside and again doesn't appear to take Bill seriously. After the spear, he pulls Scott to safety and leads him away. So Bam Bam attacks the world champion. The show ends without us even seeing if Goldberg got the upper hand on him. Ominous. Ominous. For the biggest show of the year, remember that everybody, the biggest show of the year, Starcade 1998, emanating from Washington DC, because again, that went so well last time, on December the 27th. Bob, let us know the results, please. All right. In a triple threat match, Billy Kidman retained the WCW Cruiserweight Championship against Rey Mysterio and Juventud Guerrero. In the second match, uh, Kidman defended the Cruiserweight Championship again, this time defeating Eddie Guerrero. Norman Smiley defeated Prince Ikea. Perry Saturn defeated Ernest Miller. Ryan Adams and Scott Norton defeated Fit Finley and Jerry Flynn. No, it's not Saturday night. WCW <laughs> television champion Conan retained the title against Chris Jericho. Eric Bischoff defeated Ric Flair. Diamond Dallas Page defeated the Giant. And in the main event, Kevin Ash won the WCW World Heavyweight Championship in a no disqualification match when he pinned Goldberg. Oh my God. And all the pauses you could ever hope for, and many more besides, and they are all deserved. Eric, your thoughts, not what I'm trying to lead you down a certain path here, but your thoughts on WCW's biggest show of the year. For a company notorious for questionable booking decisions, uh, failing to deliver big matches and big moments, and generally uh, over overhyping shows and under-delivering them, um, even this show surprised me. <laughs> uh, we could almost leave it there. Uh, Bob, any more? Uh, no, let's just, <laughs> let's just get this going. I no. <laughs> the sooner we start, the sooner we finish. Yes, just quickly, I'm going to, for fear of brain implosion, not talk about the two big main events just now because, oh, we're getting there. Because I thought this event started really, really well when you consider the four people involved. Maybe that's not much of a surprise, but they were there. They were given the opportunity and they took it with both hands. But then you had a run of about one and a half hours. Now, Bob, you said Saturday night. I think even Pro or Prime would be pushing it. I mean, just some of these matches, which are no business being on pay-per-view, which nobody cared about. I mean, I'm all for giving people a pay-per-view payday, but come on. I mean, it's like a throwback to WrestleMania 5, 6, and 7. I thought we were long past that now. And I'm going to have to mention them in passing. That's even before you get to the two main events. But you are listening for us to go through it start to finish. And we will start to finish. Deep breath, I'm going in. After a video package which focuses only on Goldberg, which to my eyes, even at this stage, was pretty ominous, Tony welcomes us to the granddaddy of them all, which I suppose it is, and it began in 1983, but you think somebody else would have trademarked that by now. Before we go to Mean Gene, yes, they say we're going to go to Mean Gene before we go to our first match, we have various WCW wrestlers, heels included, shilling their cross-promotional thing with QVC. <laughs> Isn't it great they're taking this event seriously? So here is Gene now. None of the horsemen are here, as requested by Bischoff. There are some familiar faces in the back, but it will cost you $1.69 a minute to find out what they were. 
So then, our opening match, I'm rather pleased to say, Rey Mysterio versus Juventud Guerrero versus Billy Kidman. One fall to a finish for the Cruiserweight title. Hoovy shoves both guys as he gets to page two of his What Heels Do book. Then the faces both pile onto him. <laughs> Tilt to a backbreaker by Ray and a swish dropkick by Kidman. Ray then gets whipped into Hooventood for a Bronco ride. Again, shouldn't somebody else have that trademark now? Ray hits Kidman accidentally, but they decide to scrap with one another anyway until they both take Guerrero back down. Everyone throws punches for a bit until Hoovy and Kidman go for a doomsday device, but Guerrero misses the clothesline as Ray rolls through. Then Kidman wheelbarrow slams him onto Hoovy. Respects. He recovers in time, though, and hits a double bulldog. Hooventude then gives us a, oh my goodness, into the camera. So he has been learning English from Vince McMahon audio. We get some hard chops from everybody until Ray gets chucked onto Hoovy, who flips around out of it, but Kidman, Kidman clotheslines him. But he gets face-planted by Ray for two. <laughs> Do you get the idea yet? Guerra goes for some cheap covers, but no dice. Kidman gets sent outside, and Hooventude backdrops Ray onto him, and then a double springboard clothesline down to the floor. The crowd are still playing along, though, as they don't react to that. Back in, though, he gets met with a double drop kick. Kidman hoists right up on his shoulders, and a recovered Hoovy leaps in with a runner to the masked man. They did take their time getting that spot set up, but it was probably worth it. Rolling Bulldog by Kidman gets him a two on Hoovy. Ray was caught by Guerra's foot on the way down. Side slam by the champ, and he goes upstairs but meets knees on the splash. Ray up now, and a springboard moonsault needs Hoovy to make the save. Ray then runners Hoovy down to the outside from over the apron. Suplex by Kidman to Mysterio and a guillotine leg drop, but Ray is up before three. He goes to powerbomb Hooventude after a struggle does it, but then it's Ray's turn to make the save. And then he gets yanked off a cover after his bulldog attempt. Over the shoulder backbreaker by Hoovy, and then Kidman saves. Ray lowers the boom and Kidman takes a spill. Top rope Asai moonsault to both guys, you say? No problem, says Ray. He then hits a springboard runner to Guerra, but no cover, and gets met with a Hoovy driver. Kidman dives in to stop the three there. Ali Oop by Guerra allows Ray to run a Kidman off the tope, but there's another break, another breakup. And still more. This time it's by Ray after a Kidman sit-out powerbomb. Ray, with another runner, sends both he and Guerra to the floor. Kidman, though, isn't staying put and hits a shooting star body press onto both guys. Jeez Louise, that was good. Eddie turns up and the ref gets distracted by that. Kidman has Hoovy pinned, but when the ref suddenly turns to Ray, Eddie hops in and turns it over. With the ref back in, though, Kidman can get out of it with Ray's help, then a sharp jackknife roll-up is good for the three and to retain the title. We've only got another two hours left in this show before my voice can go. So, Bob, talk for a bit, please. <laughs> yeah, I, I enjoyed this. And it was it was funny when you were talking about how Hoovy must be learning his English from a Vince McMahon tape. When he hit the Hoovy driver, he should have looked at the camera and be like, "What the maneuver?" <laughs> Would have been perfect. You know, it's we were, uh, we were all waiting for it. He let us there. Or like, yeah, or he's on a cover, right? And it's like, oh, he's got him. Oh, I got him. One, two. Oh no! You know, that's exactly what McMahon would do uh, every single time ever. Perfect. So that would be that would have been pretty funny. Uh, that's just my fantasy booker again. So you've got the taste for this, haven't you? You really have. I really do. Uh, no, I thought it was really good, though. Uh, constant action, you know, pretty good uh, pace. A lot of uh, high spots to keep you interested. The only thing that I just I don't like about the matches lately, and I think this goes all three major companies, is that there's this constant distraction or constant interference. There's always got to be somebody on the outside to lead to something. That stuff is just really bugging me, but this was a really good match and enjoyable to where 
I'm not going to sit here and say that this was the worst thing on the show because this just be just factually incorrect. Um, the finish was a little, uh, you know, I get like the quick aspect of it out of nowhere, but with, you know, three of your best cruiserweights, I kind of would have hoped for uh, something a little bit more flashy, but considering that they were leading into a second match involving Kidman and Guerrero, maybe that's uh, the idea of like, you barely got through it. Um, they didn't want to kind of diminish the the high spot for that, but uh, no, I thought. But anyway, I thought it was a really good, uh, really good start, and I was hopeful right off the bat here that uh, they delivered a quality match. So maybe Starcade '98 uh, will live up to the hype. But as always, it's the hope that kills you, right, Eric? <laughs> yeah, check out uh, Patreon to see scanned copies of Rory's version of what heels do. Um, no, not really. Um, <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. So before I talk about this fabulous match, I just need to know why we still let Bobby Heenan call matches like this because it (laughs) actively diminishes from the action in the ring. I mean, Shivani at times is pretty dicey too, but at least he seems in, at least he's watching the match. I'm nearly certain. Um, And Heenan just does, couldn't care less about these guys. And so just turn his mic off and let Tanay lead the thing and it'll be great. Okay, to the match. This was the best match on the card, I think, by uh, by some large metric. Um, and it was just it was just fun. It was exactly what an opening match should be. And this this match didn't have to be in the spot. This match could have been further down the card. And I'm glad it ended up being first in the Kidman segments, being the first parts of the show because it gave enough distance between the good stuff with Kidman and Eddie and the LWO and these guys who put on a hell of a show for a half an hour um, to open the show from the catastrophe that was to come uh, later on. So there was enough uh, distance between those to where I still have fond memories of this independent of everything else that comes after it. I thought this was tremendous, utterly tremendous, very possibly the best pure in-ring match WCW have put on on pay-per-view since Eddie versus Ray at Havoc last year. In fact, I'm near certain it was. Oh this yeah, was I think I think that's right. Everything I hoped it would be and more. And when we get to what we'll talk about in a short while, even better when you consider what it led to. Because I was watching this, I mean, you might not know it from my play-by-play there. It killed my throat five times over. The pace of this for start was actually a little slow by these guys' standards. Now, we're not talking Andre versus Stud WrestleMania 1 here, but you could tell they were really thinking about it, and they were using the 15 minutes to not just go out there and throw out crazy crowd-popping spots, which would have been very easy for them to do. I wouldn't have blamed them if they had built a match around that. The guys are thinking, okay, this is what they expect from us. It's the biggest show of the year. It's Starcade. We're going to have people tuning in who don't watch all the time. Let's just show them all the crazy stuff we can do. And that was in there towards the end of the match. Of course it was. You wouldn't really want it any other way. But they built it logically. They didn't really fall into the trap of so many triple threat triangle matches do, where you have one guy on the outside selling a clothesline for five minutes while the other two do their stuff. Then he suddenly dives back in to save a cover. Somebody else gets clotheslined out for five minutes and then rinse and repeat. That didn't happen. They had some really well-worked three-way spots in this that didn't feel overly contrived and set up. It would have been such an easy thing to do, but it felt so incredibly fluid. And because they just built it fairly naturally and bigger moves were being blocked and a slightly bigger move, then a bigger move still. 
that when they got to that immense spot at the end for about two minutes before the finish of the match, where Kidman took up both guys with a shooting star body press, not a shooting star press, a shooting star body press onto both guys. I mean, I, I got out of my chair and applauded. It was an amazing spot in its own right. Everybody got it spot on, but it actually meant something. I thought, yes, Kidman really wants to win this match now, and he is pulling out the ultimate stops. and Nothing is going to stand in his way. And yes, Bob, you're probably right. The finish was a tad underwhelming, but knowing what was to come shortly afterwards, it did at least play into that. It wasn't just a roll-up finish for the sake of it, which is something WCW alone have done a lot over the last eight or nine years. I think they are far too over-reliant on that finish. Yet, I think they executed it well enough. In an ideal world, I would like to have seen Kidman blast either one of these guys with his finisher, but we will get that a little bit later on. But yes, if you did not see this match, I urge you to go out of your way and do so. I hope that when we come to do our end-of-year award show, which you will be listening to a few hours later, dear listener, that this one will be featuring. Because all three of these guys, we all know they're great. Ray has been in and out this year through injury, but I'm just so glad that both Hooventude and Kidman got to showcase their very best on pay-per-view. They've been brilliant on TV. Give or take on pay-per-view. They haven't quite always hit the high spots, high marks, but they did here. I mean, Chris Savisa in the torch said that this was the match of the year. And from a pure in-ring standpoint, I think you may well be right. Go out of your way to watch this brilliant, brilliant match. And indeed, the aftermath and what it leads to. After that match, Eddie flips out at Ray and Hooventude. He calls them cream puffs for not beating that pretty boy Kidman. You two are supposed to be the best in the world. Kidman, you're a dweeb. Now there's fighting talk. I'm challenging you because I know I can win the title. Billy returns straight away and he says there's no time like the present. If you don't fight right now, you're the sissy. And despite Eddie not having his gear, we are getting that match. So here we go. It's Eddie versus Kidman for the Cruiserweight belt. Eddie with hard stomps and a big clothesline. And he even manages to hit a powerbomb on Kidman. I think that's the first time anybody's done that. It gets two, as does a flash roll-up attempt. Flapjack to the champion. And then we are ready to tip our hat to Wilbur Schneider. Guerrero tries to help, but Ray is still here too. And he is not having that. Kidman, with a desperation, head scissors after Eddie threatens Mysterio, and he just lets rip with some wild punches. And here's Heenan on commentary. It's like two construction workers fighting on their lunch break. Mm, I'll just about let him have that one. Swing and a miss. <laughs> a bunch, let's call it that. Eddie then takes charge after wrenching his knee into a very painful-looking half-crab-come-Indian deathlock. He tells Ray to kiss his ass and takes it outside. But Kidman recovers with a whip to the guardrail. Guerrero helps Eddie, though, and he has the ascendancy as we get back into the ring until he reverses another whip for a bulldog off the ropes, does Kidman. Kicks in the corner and the 10 punches. I think right now that's a wise spot if he's getting a bit tired, as is a sleeper, until Guerrero cuts it off with a jawjacker. Hoover then passes Eddie something. Kidman can barely stand but fires off some last-ditch punches, last punches and a corner clothesline, but Eddie is playing rope-a-dope. He then whacks Kidman with his shoe. Who uses a shoe? Then throws it as Ray. Well, Paul Bearer did on Capital Carnage, so it must be catching. <laughs> but delay means it is only a two count, though. Brilliant brain buster, and then he calls for the frog splash. Kidman just has enough about him to cut him off, however. And then they fight on the top, which results in a superplex by Billy. Exhausted cover, and I know how he feels, won't get the three count. Eddie with a drop kick to the knee, and then hauls the bad leg into a bridging submission. Ouch. Eddie with a rope-assisted Rana, but he can't powerbomb Billy a second time. Kidman still has some fight in him and he just stomps away like a madman. 
Scoop slam and a guillotine leg drop, yet he lost his bearing, so could not get a win. Back up to the top rope, but Eddie holds on, sending Kidman down to the canvas. They then do the same in reverse as the bodyguard tries to get in, but that merely allows Hooven to, to crotch for champion on the top rope. But then Ray is able to do the same to Eddie, which knocks Hooven to, to the floor. Kidman can fire off the shooting star, and he gets the win this time too. Eric, they're really trying to make something of Kidman, and you know what? I'm very pleased to see it. You know, it's frustrating because this shows that WCW does know how to book the loner face conquering the heel group. Um, on the one-year pay-per-view anniversary of last year's debacle, where they failed to do just that. Um, this is this is great. And, you know, this match, this match suffered because Kidman, very understandably so, was not at full, did not have his full wind behind him because he had just based, sprinted for 15 minutes with, with Ray and Hoobie. Um, so this match had the potential, has the potential, these two guys, to have a true undisputed match of the year candidate, which I'm hoping we'll see early in 1999. For what these guys got in 11 minutes with a gassed Kidman and Eddie wrestling in street clothes, which has to be constricting to some degree, this was a hot match, hot crowd, uh, nothing really uh, to complain about, just that I'd like to see what these guys could do with fresh legs and another 10 minutes. Great stuff. It was indeed, Bob. Yeah, I just want to point out about uh, what Eddie was saying before the match, calling him a sissy. I just envisioned him, the only thing I was missing really was him just flicking Kidman's forehead or something, you know, and <laughs> breaking his glasses. It just shows you such a different uh, approach compared to what, you know, the WWF would probably do in that situation, you know, and who knows what would have happened there in a much probably vulgar way. Uh, but th I thought this match was uh, pretty good. Uh, probably the best that you could probably, you, you could get considering the previous match and, and Eddie being in street clothes. I didn't really understand why Eddie would feel the need to take off his boot to, you know, use it on Kim. I feel like if it's on your foot, you're going to get more of an impact. So stuff like that. I was just, kind of baffled by but i it was good it was a, a really quality match uh for the most part i've enjoyed hoovy on the floor just doing his antics uh, supporting his uh leader of sorts so um yeah i mean this in the first match like even talking about right now i feel pretty good i think star k 98 could uh, close out on a good year and then you know it has to it has to happen it has to continue so can I just end it now? Can I just can I just leave now and and be happy about it or no? Yeah, let's oh, go. And, let's yeah, and, Gold, and Goldberg squashes Nash and we're done. <laughs> I was yeah. going to say a 9 out of 10 show, but that takes it up to the full 10. There we go. Yeah. 10's across the board, the best show we'll ever do. Let's end the podcast right now. Project yeah. over. Another bloody good match here, wasn't it? I think you're absolutely correct, Eric. I'd love to see these two going going at it for 15 minutes with Eddie dressed for the occasion and a bit more hype and build to it. The only thing that annoyed me about this was obviously we didn't know it was happening until we bought the pay-per-view. But Ugh. it's a WCW trope and I wish they wouldn't do it. It's, it's, it's an easy thing to ECW. do. It's there. It's an easy thing to do. They've got our money, so they think they can do what they like. I wish they wouldn't. They can't because they're not going to get people's money next time. But luckily, this was for a match between Eddie Guerrero and Billy Kidman, so I can kind of forgive them. Tremendous stuff. Kidman worked such a smart match here again. He's clearly tired after going 15 minutes with two of the best. And yet not only was he using those 
spots like 10 punches and a sleeper to give himself a breather genuinely. They did play into the context of the match where Eddie was just going at him full guns blazing and he was just doing anything he could just to try to begin to turn the tide. Now that is smart babyface work and Kidman, he's got a fantastic moveset as we know. He plays the underdog so well but he's intelligent in the ring. I mean, My only fear, I feel like I say this every month when I talk about guys this good and on this position in the card that they will always only ever be in this position in the card. And it's a shame, but it's the wrestling world we live in these days. It's you're either a member of the land of the giants or you're a renegade who hates your boss. If you're neither of those two things, then you're not going to be there in the big main event money. But that is not Billy Kidman's fault. He's a tremendous worker. I mean, he was great beforehand, but since he turned face in September, he has been an utter revelation. And I really do hope he can carry it on into 99, even if it is just for the Cruiserweight belt for the next six months. And if it means matches of the quality we've had for the previous two, then it won't bother me too much. I sincerely hope that he mentions our praise for him in his next contract negotiations, because I'm sure we've got some sway in the wrestling world. I mean, we have Booker extraordinaire with us after all. Yes, at this point, as you guys have rightly said, Starcade was cooking along very, very nicely indeed. But... It's like if the problem is it's on Christmas Day. You've got the really big present underneath the tree and the small ones. You open the big present first and it's and it's the PlayStation or it's the N64 or something. You leave the ones tucked, tucked towards the back of the tree for the end because you know they're the old socks from Auntie Marjorie and we are going to get a lot of pairs of those over the next two hours. Norman Smiley. Sorry, Norman Smiley versus Prince Iakea. Already has lots of holes in it. The Prince tries to get this one done early, but sadly, Smiley kicks out. <laughs> Dragon, screw, Dragon screw leg whip, and Norman takes a quick powder to the outside. Cannonball by the Prince to no, rac- no reaction whatsoever from the crowd or the commentary team, and a suplex meets with the same. Now the audience get involved with a boring chant as Smiley takes over on offense. Arm locks and stamps and some amateur wrestling. Wrong place, wrong time. Chops by the Prince, but everyone is just gone now. Norman sort of dances and hits a spinning body slam, which is always still just a body slam. Standing stomp is December 1998, and look at the two matches just gone before you. And then a quarter Nelson roll up for one, followed by another hold I cannot be bothered to name or be bothered to look up. Suplex by Smiley and some more dancing. Underhook slam, but Ikea's foot was on the rope. It really, really wasn't, by the way. Cross arm breaker is fought out of, and I have typed far too much here already. More dancing, but Prince catches him for a Northern Lights for two. Another body vice type whatever to people who have not paid to watch this sort of thing. We get outside somehow and come back in somehow, and why is this still happening somehow? Snapmare by Ayakia and a body press, but Norman rolls through for two. We fight over a backslide and then a chicken wing. After a battle, he gets it on. And what in tarnation was that match, Bob? Starcade. <sighs> Starcade. Oh, yeah. <sighs> First of all, I'm going to I'm going to go on maybe a little bit of a rant here. So, uh, you know, I, I, I pardon anybody that It's what we're here for. It's okay. what we're here for. So, let me just start off with 29.95. <laughs> I think I know 29. where you're going with this. I think I know where you're going with this. Go on. Yeah. So, I I paid 29.95 and I started off with two really good cruise rate matches. Great. And then Norman Smiley comes out. You know, I, I can dig it. I like Norman. He's pretty good. He's got personality. And then Prince Aya fucking Kaya comes out. <laughs> it seems like he missed a part of his head when he was buzzing his hair off and it's on the top of his head and he missed it. <laughs> this you you wanna like 
growing up, ever since I was a kid, my family would do a, a Yankee swap. Let's keep with the Christmas tradition, a Yankee swap, where you have a bunch of gifts and you pick out and you get you pick numbers. Let's say there's 10 people, so there's gonna be 10 numbers. And I have the third number, and I see the first two people pick up gifts. It's it's the triple threat match, and it's Billy and, and Guerrero. I'm thinking, okay, cool. There's gonna be some good ass gifts in here. <laughs> I go and pick it up, and I get Norman fucking Smiley and Prince Iakea. And you just and you're sitting there like, oh no, you you really shouldn't have gotten this. And they're like, oh, you don't like it? It's like, no, it, it's it's great. It's I don't want to be rude, but like no one's gonna want this. Why would you put it here? So then the rest of the time you're exchanging gifts, you're trying to convince people, oh, no, you want this. <laughs> you want 11 minutes of Norman Smiley in Prince IK. Like, who doesn't want this? Like we mentioned before, if it was on Saturday night, if it was on WCW Pro, if it was on Worldwide, if it was at my local independent wrestling show, I am not going to want to see this, and I would not watch it. I believe that this match was on Nitro before the pay-per-view even happened. So this is a rematch from what we saw on television. I don't know who in their right mind would sit there and say, let's put Norman Smiley and Prince Ikea on pay-per-view. It is obviously, I would have to think it's a cool-down match from what we just saw. The crowd was cheering for near falls, not because they wanted someone to win. They wanted it to end. Oh, yes. And when the finish happened, they were cheering and knowing WCW management for all the things they've done in the last 10 to 15 years. They might be back there thinking, holy shit, Norman Smiley's over. No disrespect to Norman Smiley, but no. This is because no one wanted to see this at fucking Starcade. If there was an award for rant of the year, then it's it's all over. It's it's done. Just Bob Colling Jr. No, and this isn't even the worst match on the show, Rory. We've, we've got we've no I know but we've we've got. Well, if it means another rant from you, then I'm going to take it. But you know, otherwise, we have got worse. I'm going to have a heart attack. <laughs> not poisoned. a mild one. He was poisoned. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to tell Doug Dillinger. <laughs> We're going to need Doug to cut you out a minute. Bob, oh. Bob, Bob uh, Eric, oh god, it's got me all discombobulated. Eric, while we give Bob the smelling salts, uh, try and pick this one up. You know what's what's crazy about this card is from an in-ring execution standpoint, this was one of the better matches on the card. No, <laughs> get, um, get the fuck out of here. No, you know what? It was. But, get out of here. No, we're okay. get him off. We're not talking anymore. <laughs> we, the crowd, turned on this match immediately. And that's not what you want from your cool down match. You you don't want go away heat because that, that that enthusiasm from the first half an hour of the show can turn into anger. Um, and at this point, um, Rory, if you'll indulge me, I've prepared a list of the following gifts, which were not under our Starcade Christmas tree in any meaningful fashion this year, in no particular order. Just sketched out scott steiner buff bagwell bret hart sting benoit malenko hall booker t stevie ray wrath who's been getting a hell of a push on television luger bam bam and our friend mr balea all absent uh from the gift pool this year and instead we get norman smiley and prince aka for 11 minutes and uh i i will just then defer the rest of my thoughts to 
Bob's rant. Oh, there's just no following this, is there? Suffice to say, you are actually right, Eric. Technically, this match was perfectly fine, but nobody is spending. How much, Bob? Remind us. How much did you spend? $29.95. $29.95 to watch a decent technical match between two people who are not remotely over. It's, there's a huge difference between being a good wrestler and good at pro wrestling. Yes. And that is Norman Smiley. He is a good wrestler. He's got an excellent amateur background. I like a lot of his mat-based moves. It's a style of wrestling that I personally am very much into. But this is Starcade. It's the holiday season. People don't want to see 11 minutes of hammerlocks against somebody whose own existence was completely irrelevant after he lost the TV title, I think it was, back in March 1997 after he had only won it so they could do their own version of the Rocky Maivia story. Ayakia has nothing other than those three weeks to his resume. Nothing at all. And here he is, ahead of all those other people you rightly mentioned, Eric, having a watchable match on pay-per-view. I mean, I don't always agree with Chris Lacey when he says it's better to be bad than boring, because bad isn't always something you can just sit back and laugh at. It, sometimes I think you're giving bad a pass when you say that. But this would be an example, if I was Mr. Lacey, that I would use in his defense. Because this was just the very definition of there. And nobody wants there on a pay-per-view like this. Like I said in the opening, it's not WrestleMania 5, 6, or 7 where you've got to get everybody on the card. You haven't got many TV opportunities to do so. You've only got four pay-per-view four pay-per-views a year. You know, you give five minutes to Texas Tornado versus Dino Bravo as a thanks for all your hard work on the house shows, guys. You can't do that anymore. We have weekly TV. This is a hot war between the two biggest companies. Can't afford to waste your time doing that. $29.95. Hey, yo. I think you got to agree with me that being in D.C. for the holidays is just too And uh, it's no secret that uh, 1998 ain't been the best year of Scott Hall's life in and out of the ring. And uh, I got nobody to blame for that but myself. I lost everything I ever cared about. That's okay. Um, later on tonight, a guy I used to look at is my big brother, Kevin Nash. He's got the opportunity of a lifetime. We rode up and down the road together, and we used to talk about what it would be like to be the main man in wrestling. Well, Kev, you told me a while back that I had to prove myself to you.
And a lot of people in buildings all around the country been telling me I got to prove something to them. I ain't the smartest guy in the world, but uh, I ain't got to prove nothing to Kev. I ain't got to prove nothing to you. There's only one guy that I got to prove something to. And he's six foot six, more handsome than 10 movie stars. And his name is Scott Hall. So I can't wait to kiss 1998 goodbye because I guarantee you that 1999 is my year. The Cat versus Saturn is our next match. The Cat cuts the same Gennaro heel one-on-one promo and Saturn is still wearing the same garb that causes me to sit forward in my chair, look up from my newspaper and say to him, does your mother know you're going out like that? On the count of five, Saturn slugs the cat and we are underway. Or we would be if Miller didn't stall on the outside for a century or two. He dives in when Saturn has his back turned, but he comes up short and actually gets a few laughs from the attendees. Ten punches from Saturn. Our crowd liked that spot tonight, but the cat sneaks out again. He gets back in after a reset with a leg sweep and some more stomps. They're popular today. He poses a bit, then gets a two count. Saturn goes for the rings pin, but that is also only two worthy. He tries that a couple more times also to no avail. Cat jaws with the crowd again, telling them to shut up when they already are very much shut up. Always makes heels look so stupid when they do that. Sidekick back in the ring and another time wasting two. They slug it out, but when Cat goes for another sidekick, Saturn catches him into a sort of T-bone suplex. Short Beal gets a two, and now he goes up top after a neck breaker. He tries an axe handle, but when he lands, Cat kicks him in the face. The timing was well off on that one, I'm afraid. Delayed pin for two. He calls in Sonny, but of course, Perry Ducks and Ono connects with his guy. Death Valley driver, to what it must be said, is quite a big pop, and then gets the win. Brain nearly saves this with so much for a man and his cat. Eric, once again, this was a thing that happened, but not much more. You know, I'm actually going to defend this match in terms of, of building a card. And when I say that, I mean Ernest Miller is a good character to have. He's a comedy heel that nobody takes seriously. He's a real threat to do any damage. You bring him out after the hot opening we had with Kidman and Eddie and the Cruisers to, to do his promo thing. Saturn, the, the relatively over good wrestler face, comes out and annihilates him. Not in seven minutes, but let's give him two and a half, three minutes. This match felt long for seven. Um Give them three minutes. And that's what you need to cool down the crowd. A comedy heel coming out and getting their comeuppance. Everybody can go take a piss if they want to. Get a beer. Stretch their legs. Or just change their attitude. So I can understand this match. On this card, it just didn't work. Because it was just another undercard match that was essentially a rematch from Nitro. So I would have liked to have seen this match on a better structured card. Uh, but on this card, unacceptable. What are your thoughts, Bob? I, I agree. If you if you eliminate the smiley IKEA match and you insert that right insert this right after the, the, the two matches, it's a better used cool off match. 
But now, so the previous match went about 11 and a half minutes. This one goes about seven. So let's just round it up to about 20 minutes. If I'm in the crowd, I'm getting antsy because nothing all that compelling is going on. I'm at home drinking heavily now. <laughs> there's, okay. there's, a, there's a theme developing here with you. Yeah. Episode, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I hope nobody contacts, you know, uh, a therapist or anything. Like, I'm fine. I'm not going to do anything crazy. Although the next match after this, who know, I don't know anymore. But the uh, no, no, no matter the comedy that Ernest Miller can do, because he is he's an entertaining uh, character. He seems to have an act that works pretty well. But considering what had just happened, I want more. And, and what Eric had mentioned with all those guys that are not on the show, because I I believe I listed it as well. All those big names. And now we have Perry Saturn and Ernest Miller and none of those big guys. This is not f- leading up to feeling like it's the biggest show of 1998 or the biggest show in WCW history, as you know, Shivani likes to say until, you know, January 17th when sold out happens or whatever, <laughs> you know, it was biggest show until tomorrow night on nitro when it's the biggest show because it's here or thunder, you know, whatever. Um, I don't know. It's just my, uh, my level of excitement and hope for Starcade hasn't jumped off a cliff yet, but I'm starting to look down and saying, Hey, it doesn't look too bad down there. There's a steady wind. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Uh, those rocks will screw you up. Um, he'll look stupid. Miscommunication face wins. Let's move on. Remember everybody. This is Starcade. Gene talks to the nature boy who knows a thing or two about this event. He's already got the robe on. We have finally arrived. Flair has agreed to all of Bischoff's demands, including the horseman not being present in the building. But it makes no difference anyway, because tonight Bischoff gets his ass kicked. Flair even busts out jet flying, limousine riding, kiss stealing, wheeling, dealing, what seems like the first time in a while. So you know this is a really, 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 really important match for him against Eric Bischoff. A good but overlong Bischoff video package then airs, complete with reminding us of the heart attack angle. Ugh. We go to the back where Steiner and Buff burst into Conan's dressing room. They won't lay a finger on Lex, but Conan might not be so lucky. Lex then shows up to come to the rescue, for now. Throw your skinny body down on the rock, son, because here's our next match. It's Brian Adams and Scott Norton versus Fit Finley and Jerry Flynn. Brian Adams and Scott... No, no, many times I'm going to repeat it. It's still... <laughs> I, just, I just can't convince myself. Oh, and I've even made notes for this one. We learn the title match has been made more... I'll try that again. See what they've done to me. We learn that the title match has been made no DQ. That is certainly more interesting than the opening exchanges here. Clubbing clotheslines by Adams until Finley cuts him off with a clothesline of his own. It's going to be that sort of match. Finley misses a corner charge and here comes Norton. Big clotheslines. And look, a power slam. Finn is, well, in like Flynn. Yes, I'm not even trying with the jokes here. Spin kick in the corner nails Norton, sort of, who then tags out. Spinning chop puts, puts Crush down, but Vincent with a knee on the apron puts the heels back in the driving seat. Tony doesn't care and spends his time thinking that all world title matches should be no disqualification. Hmm. Norton grinds on Finley's neck because that's what he does. He's big in Japan, you know. Hangman gets two. Crush then continues the assault with the ref tied up. Punches to the back by Norton and just why? Devastating shoulder breaker by Norton for only a two. Jaw breaker by Fitz to Crush and a DDT. It's so quiet here, you could hear my pen drop. But sadly, I still have to take notes. Crush just jumps on his back a bit, 
After all that, Finley just rolls over for the tag. They didn't even bother teasing a hot one. Flynn gets taken down after the initial flurry. Norton powerbombs him for the three. And I think it's safe to say, Bob, this one won't be a recipient of anybody's rewind button anytime soon. All right, so let's have my story continue. Let's say in my <laughs> Yankees live here that I've been able to sucker a family member into feeling bad for me, and they've decided to take my gift that was Smiley and Iakea. So I'm sitting here saying, you're a sucker. All right, I got a second shot. I grab, I grab another gift thinking this is going to be great. I'm going to be finally happy with something. This is the best holiday, the best Christmas ever. I open it up, and it's fucking Brian Adams and Scott Norton against Fit Finley and Jerry Flynn. The guy now that has my Ikea smiley thing is laughing at me because now he's not, he doesn't have the worst gift. I like Brian Adams when he was crushed four years ago. I like Scott Norton when he's in Japan. I liked Fit Finley like eight months ago. He was pretty fun. And Jerry Flynn has got a rockin' mullet. <laughs> you fi fi finish strong, Bob. Finish strong. All four of these dudes, there's nothing. Why the fuck am I going to care about these guys? The black and white, they, they even said on commentary, like, they're dead. We don't even care. Fighting against Fit Finley and Jerry fucking Flynn. It's Starcade 1998. Twenty nine ninety five. <laughs> that is going to be the tagline for this podcast. Just burn my fucking money, man. I can't do this anymore. Uh, they, well, they had Flair actually tear up money on the Nitro after this. I'm beginning to, yeah, <laughs> allegorical, I think. Eric, I, just, I don't know. I don't know. <sighs> I'm reminded of the Merchant of Venice. Ah, <laughs> uh, your monthly Shakespeare reference. You, you always make them fit so well. You speak an infinite deal of nothing. <laughs> and that is Starcade 1998 uh, through this match of, 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 of negative consequence uh, to WCW's overall perception as a brand, as a strong wrestling company, and as an entity that wants to take seriously how its fans, both the hardened ones like the three of us and the new ones, of which there are many more, uh, how they all view this company. And uh, to put this on something that you charge money for is an atrocity. What is Jerry Flynn even, apart from, apart from having a rocking mullet, obviously, how could I forget? Uh, I don't think he's even won a match since he's made his appearances on Nitro. Uh, and what can he do? A kick. That's all I've ever seen him do. And somehow that means he's able to jump the line of 30 other people to get a payday on Starcade 1998. A payday from $29.95 that people lay down for this. It's $29.95, by the way. It's just nothing to say about this match from bell to bell because it was completely irrelevant. The only thing you could talk about is the existence of this match on this card. <sighs> Who thought this was a good idea? I mean, these, these guys aren't even feuding. I can't even give them that out. At least with the Cat and Saturn, they've been having a bit of a Barney on TV for the last couple of couple of weeks, so you could just about excuse them having a match there, as bland as it was. This had no reason to exist. It would have felt thrown together on an edition of Prime. Here at Starcade, it's 
it's unforgivable. And it's not really anything to do with the guys involved, but they did what they could, which in the case of at least three of them was not very much. But you know, this isn't their fault. They probably didn't ask for this. Now, if I was giving an opportunity to take a Starcade payday, you'd be a fool to turn it down. But it's the, it's the higher-ups who just think they can fill time. You shouldn't be filling time on Starcade. You should know. You should have it blocked. Match, match, segment. Match, match, match. And I know We know they like their segments on interviews on pay-per-view. I don't. They do. They aren't changing anytime soon. If you're going to have those, plan them carefully around your matches. Don't just have people bumming around in the back. By all accounts, this match didn't even exist until a couple of hours before the show. And you cannot let that happen at an event which you've got all eyes on with two huge main events. A pay-per-view which should lay, begin laying down all your storylines for the next 12 months and you waste 11 minutes on a nothing tag team match between nothing people. Oh, my God. I'm going to start hitting the Christmas brandy very early, I think. Bob, when you well, finish with that one, if there's anything left, I'll... I'll <laughs> <it over. laughs> this this could make sense. Um, if, like, tomorrow night, uh, the next night on Nitro, if Brian Adams and, and Vincent and Norton come out and say, hey, man, we beat Finley and Flynn, we're taking over. <laughs> we beat your heroes. They, they missed the know? trick there. Because I'm sure everybody in the crowd, I'm sure, you know, 30% of the people are at least Irish or have a mullet, so they're probably going to have an emotional attachment to it. All I will say is at the end of this match, there probably were people crying in the audience, but I think we all know really why. Gene needs our attention. He gets the other side of the story with Eric Bischoff. He says hi to the first family, because of course he does, and then says he is profoundly sorry for all the pain he has caused. It's time to set the record straight. He feels badly for Ric Flair wanting this match tonight. He is pushing himself beyond his physical abilities, and Flair is only doing this because he is broke. See what we said earlier? They are humiliating him at every turn. Bischoff's company pay for his Learjets. And ugh, this really did make me shudder. When it comes to kiss stealing, you know who is king. Oh, Eric, I do not want to know. I don't want to know about what you get up to behind closed doors on a Sunday morning after you take him a dog out. I never, ever want to know. Oh, I've just got images of hearing about this every single week now, and it's really quite scary. Chris Jericho versus Conan for the TV title. Happy Jericho holiday. He tells Conan to show some fashion sense like Ralphus. One is enough, thank you. The match is underway and K-Dog takes the early lead with a seated dropkick. Jericho, though, with a big kick of his own and he misses a body press as Conan just walks away from it. He takes a breather outside and Conan stupidly follows, which he pays for by eating the guardrail and the ring post. He gets thrown back in and then a choice suplex is followed up by Come On Baby. That must get a win one day. And yes, I am going to mention that in every single play-by-play -play of a Jericho match until it does. Scoop slam, and he asks us if we are ready. We have to wait for a big move as Conan hits back, but we get a lion salt for a two. Jericho, Jericho tried to set up the steps by the ring post earlier, which comes back to haunt him when K-Dog slings him onto them from the ring. Conan with some kicks, but he shoves the referee down. Jericho was able to nab the TV belt during that. because He can only get a long two off it. Face plant by the champion. Conan goes for the Tequila Sunrise. And Jericho taps in seven minutes. Bob, I think it is safe to say that Jericho is not Mr. Popular backstage at the moment. And losing in seven minutes to Conan on pay-per-view only solidifies that viewpoint. Well, yeah. I mean, this was a pretty much... It felt like a heatless match. Uh, I didn't really care for what was going on here. And you, you look back to when Jericho had 
arguably the, the hottest angle going with Goldberg just, what, three months ago. Last month he fought Bobby Duncan Jr., right? Is that who he, that's who I'm, he was fighting? I'm afraid so. Right. And now he's fighting Conan, which is an upgrade from Duncan, but... You know, to me, this is it seemed like a better opportunity for a guy like Perry Saturn, you know, keep the belt on Jericho and have those guys fight here. Saturn is having coming off his feud with Raven, has some momentum going on instead of feuding with Ernest Miller and Sonny Ono and Kazayashi or whoever the fuck, have him in here with Jericho and they could probably have a pretty good 13 to 15 minute match. And Saturn goes over and television champion going into the next year this just seemed like conan is i don't even i don't i don't know if conan's good but it seems like right now he's just uh going through the motions um i heard him calling up quite a few spots so it wasn't like he was even really trying to cover anything up it's just it's an amazing fall from i guess popularity or grace or focus that they had on jericho that now it's just I put over Conan and a meaningless match on our biggest show of the year. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if my optimism is noticeably dwindling compared to where we were about an hour ago. Because now I feel disheveled, <laughs> abused, uh, taken advantage of. Because uh, this was not worth, so far, twenty nine ninety five. Okay, I'll take the hint. You can have the brandy back. Eric? Okay, thank you. <laughs> this match had a very tepid and rushed build on Nitro. And, you know, I think, again, this is another match like the Saturn Miller one where you can think of it in a vacuum or as part of card building and think, well, you have two kind of over. Conan's, you know, still over as a as a cool heel. He's got the crowd behind him with his chance and stuff. And then you have cool heel Jericho. And, you know, cool heels can probably have a decent match together. And, Bob, you're absolutely right. Like, Conan is the definition of fine in the ring. He doesn't do anything special. I would say if we were grading wrestlers, he'd be a C plus, right? Yeah. That, that type of guy. And, you know, Jericho's better, but I don't think Jericho's elite. You know, I don't think Jericho's of the level of Malenko or Benoit or a lot of the guys that he's often compared to, or even Saturn, frankly. Um, and so I think you have two guys in here that are decent, not great workers, good talkers and everything. And you have the, com the, the possibility to have an entertaining, if basic match. And yet they get seven minutes um, in a match that had very little build on nitro. And if you're going to put these guys on, at least give them the time to tell a good story and to make it seem more than anything, but a, a hasty decision to have Jericho tap out, give them, 10, 15 minutes and let them build to something that allows for Conan to tap Jericho clean. Don't put it here. Don't give him seven minutes and don't basically, you know, pretend it, it was more than it was. Cause it was just a, a hastily booked title match on the biggest card of the year. And they even messed up doing that with the two guys they had. Yes. This definitely felt like a Jericho punishment match to me. I could see when they were drawing up the card, Bischoff there looking over him, putting his glasses over his nose, peering at him saying, you are going to sign that new contract, aren't you, Chris? I'll tell you what, have a little think about it during this match when you lose in seven minutes to Conan. Just use that time, just just bear it in mind and come back to me afterwards and you know, just let me know what you think. Now, this was 
contract negotiations being played out live before us on pay-per-view. There wasn't really much to the match. It was a very quick seven minutes, but I don't mean that as a compliment. I didn't really need to truncate my notes very much there either. There was very little going on. Rather standard. You can't even really call it back and forth. Jericho does a couple of things. Conan does. And then we get to the finish really quite hastily with the standard, once again, heel trips on a banana skin finish. He goes for the, use the belt. And both companies are using that trope quite a lot these days. And I really do want it to stop, but it's an easy go-to. But they don't really care how Jericho loses these days. They're just going to, I think we're just going to keep jobbing him, jobbing him until he either signs or tells them, I've been looking at ceiling just once too often now. I wonder if the roofs of buildings look any better or nicer a couple of thousand miles north. I'd quite like to check them out. We'll see how that one goes. Very little to talk about here from a match perspective. Conan, it's not about Conan having the TV title necessarily. It is about Jericho not having it. It is indeed time for our special grudge match as they have built it between Ric Flair and Eric Bischoff. Bischoff looks focused but nervous as he comes to the ring. And this time, unlike last year, at least he kept his shirt on. But Flair is Flair. He chases the boss around a bit, then catches him with ease. He pelts him outside and then pelts him inside. He tries to rip his mouth apart, and there's still time for a little bit of a strut. Classic knee drop on a woo, and now Eric is favouring his knee. But Flair is not in the mood for compassion. He's going to kick it. But Eric was playing possum and can kick Flair in the head. Oh, come on. He sends Rick to the rail, and this is already looking quite stupid. But hold on, that's nothing, because Flair has bladed off that. Oh my god. Oddly muted Bischoff sucks chant, and then another kick puts him down. At least from Flair we get another low blow to enjoy, and a few knees to the happy sacks too. The shirt comes off, and here come the wild chops. He gets rid of Robinson, remember that, and now it is time to go to school, including what on the other channel they call Shattered Dreams. Side suplex, vertical suplex, figure four. Oh boy, Bischoff is in agony, but of course there's no ref. And Kurt Hennig runs down, and he gives Bischoff some knocks, and Eric KOs Flair with it. And he revives the ref and covers and gets the motherfucking win. Oh my God. The groan of the crowd can be heard in deep space. And Eric, right now, I wish I was living there. I have nothing to say about this match. It, it, I just, I can't. I, it, I, I can't explain this, this, whether it was booked or the finish. In my years of watching wrestling, this is the one that has me stumped. I can't say I blame you. Bob, is there anything to anything at all you can say about this? Nobody would blame you if there wasn't. Okay, well, I'll try. So I paid $29.99. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> okay. So for years, Ric Flair has been getting the short end of the stick ever since Hogan's came in in July of 94. He's dressed up in drag. He's done. He lost a strat match somehow when he wasn't even in it. 32 yeah. on two. They lost that match. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then this year alone, whether, you know, he got suspended, he's going to make sure that he's, uh, he can't, you know, take care of his family, all these things that, you know, backstage, what, what have you. He returns September 14th, cuts that passionate promo. I'm already fired. You can't fire me. I'm fired. 
you know, all this stuff. Bischoff beats up his kid, kisses his wife. Flair has a heart attack. I'm going into this wanting to see Eric Bischoff get his ass kicked. Yep. I want to see Eric Bischoff bleeding profusely, begging. You're thinking this guy is going to die. That is what this match needed to be. Instead, and I'm talking about, you put the figure four on this motherfucker. He's in the ring. He's in a pool of blood. Everybody can come right out. Doug Dillinger can come out. Everybody. Vareki, you got to let him go. He's bleeding. I don't care. I'm already fired. Passionate. This guy has made his life a living hell for years. In the last eight months or so, it's been even worse. Should have been four minutes, five minutes, not even. Bischoff should have got nothing in on this. Nothing. I would even say as he's walking to the ring, Ric Flair just beats the shit out of him on the floor. Yep. Instead, this goes, what, it's about seven, similar to Saturn Miller. Ric Flair. Ric fucking Flair does the blade job. Oh. Bischoff pins him. Sorry, this is the same guy, Ric Flair. Harley Race, Dusty Rhodes, Vader, Hogan, Sting, Luger, Steamboat, Funk. Classics upon classics. And he loses, sure as by shenanigans and a cheap shot, he loses to the WCW president, Eric fucking Bischoff. What else? I don't know. I yeah I, I don't know if I watch sitting there watching this why the fuck would I ever give these guys money ever again ever it is common sense the the long standing tradition in professional wrestling the heel gets the heat the baby face prevails you get them to get their money and you're thinking great he won this is great no he loses again no it's just insulting the fans by doing this and, and Ric Flair agreeing to do it. I don't know. I don't know why he would ever think it was a good idea to do this. Nothing about this was good. Nothing. Horrendous. Utterly horrendous. There were two things in the long-term buildup. And then when Flair was walking to the ring that really set the alarm bells flying. Number one. As I said, when we were previewing this match on our November show, Flair got the better of Bischoff every turn there, every single turn. And I didn't want to believe it when I thought at the back of my mind, Bischoff, because ultimately he's booking this stuff. He is not going to let that stand. He is going to get his revenge somehow. And in the build-up for this over the last few weeks, he certainly did. He gets to mock Flair having a heart attack. He gets to beat up his son. He gets to kiss his wife. He gets to have him carted out of the arena while shrieking like a loony. All of that said, I would have, as difficult as it would have been, because we tore the heart attack angle apart earlier, and quite rightly so, I would have let it slide to a degree if this had been Flair just destroying him here on pay-per-view. Which brings me to my second concern, which again was made flesh. Ric Flair comes to the ring first, and what's he doing? He's wearing a robe. Also, Sprax Zarathustra is playing, 
and they were treating this as if it was like Flair's biggest, toughest match of his career. It was like Flair for the gold 15 years ago all over again. And I was like, no, you're against Eric fucking Bischoff. This man has made your life hell, both on and off camera. This is your chance to go out there and kill him. This isn't about, oh, your final chance to win a championship or anything. This isn't Starcade 93 even. There's the guy who's, he tried to fire you. Uh, he's made moves on your wife. He's beaten up your son. Uh, he mocks you having a heart attack. Go out there and kill him. And yet, after the first two minutes of offense where it looked like we were getting that, we learned that Bischoff was playing possum. He was feigning a knee injury. He has the ability, in kayfabe, but the ability to send Flair into the guardrail so hard that it makes his head bleed. He has the smarts to get Kurt Hennig onside, so just in case the referee gets knocked down, he won't lose the match. He can withstand the figure of four leg lock long enough for Kurt Hennig to come down without having his leg snapped in 25 places. For all, I destroyed, ripped to pieces Hogan v. Warrior two months ago. And I would gladly do so again. It was despicable pro wrestling. You know, I cannot... I think, if anything, we were too kind to it on that show, okay? It was heinous for the viewer. Heinous. In many ways, this was worse. As Hogan Warrior was never, ever, ever going to be a good match. <laughs> they exceeded my expectations on that score, but it was never, ever going to. We got kind of what you would expect. This match was booked completely incorrectly, 180 degrees to what it should have been, to what people paid, however much money it was, Bob, to watch it. People wanted to see two things on this show, and one of those was seeing this snivelling, overprivileged, snotty-nosed boss who just is got there by sucking up. You know, he was a door-to-door -door salesman 10 years ago, and now he's the president of a wrestling company, and he lets us know it every week. God, I'd love to see that guy get his ass kicked. Well, here they had a legitimate chance to do so in a match which has had eight months of build-up, a lot of it very, very real build-up, and we get him pinning Rick fucking Flair. I don't care that it was tainted. I don't care that it needed interference. I don't even care that they tried to right the wrong a day later, which we will talk about after this pay-per-view. I don't care about any of that. The record will state from now for the next 500 years that Eric Bischoff beat Ric Flair by pinfall at a Starcade pay-per-view. Much like Bulldog and Sean last year, this made me feel genuinely furious as a wrestling fan. I didn't hate Eric Bischoff, the character. I hated Eric Bischoff, the person, for providing me and thousands of others around the world this, this disgrace on pay-per-view. It's been said in the sheets this month that Ric Flair needs to try being a bit more selfish. I just wish that somebody had advised him that before this pay-per-view went live. 
a disgrace to the business if ever there was one. And whether you like Flair or not, and a lot of the time it must be said, I don't. You do not do that with a man like Ric Flair. Much like earlier, albeit for very different reasons, I wish we could end it there, but we've still got two matches to go. Let's press on the best we can. Okay, the Giant versus DDP. Let's see what they can do. Giant spits at DDP, but on that score, Page can give as good as he gets. Armbar, and he goes for the cutter right away, which is a good spot, but he can't get it on yet. He does, though, force the Giant to the outside. However, he ends up taking a big clothesline in front of the fans. Giant sends him over the rail, right onto a trash can. Oh, that was lucky, wasn't it? Page then uses it himself as a weapon to recover. He won't get far with that, though, and Giant rams his arm into the post, then just tosses him back into the ring. He works the leg a bit on the mat and does not disgrace himself in doing so, it must be said. Page settles for a good old eye gouge to get out of it. The big fella is still in control, though, with some hard open chops. DDP fights on his knees like only he can, and he manages to get the crowd to support him. But he is now going to have to get out of the bear hug, too. He does everything he can to scrap out of it and go for a cutter, but once more, the giant is too strong. Big power slam for a two. Back to the bear hug and Dallas is doing his best ragdoll sell. And I mean that as a compliment, by the way. The arm doesn't drop at three and here he comes. He does all he can to get the big man into a sunset flip, but the giant can just double choke him into a backbreaker. Big gasp from our fans on that one. Irish whip and then Dallas with a last ditch DDT to put the giant down. Long delay means a two count only. And now here comes Brett with a chair. Not to wrestle. Huh, of course not. To interfere in this match with a chair. He accidentally whacks the Giants. Cover, but the big guy just throws Page off. Close line off the second rope and then the top. He calls for the cutter, but he climbs the buckles again. Lands in the choke slam, but no. He kicks him in the knee, but the Giant isn't letting go. And he is now going to put Page up for the super, super choke slam. But the people's champ switches into a cutter. And that will get Page the win. Tony tells Brett to, and I quote, Take your chair and go to Calgary, you lame brain. <laughs> uh, what were you saying about Tony Schiavone earlier, Eric? Bob, the giant lost, which given his, again, his contract disputes is not really a surprise, but uh, sod it. I had fun getting there in this match. Yeah, I mean, compared to everything else that's been on this show, that is a pretty uh, solid undercard, mid-card match. The structure, the story of the match with the diamond cutter. Can he get it on Giant? It's pretty enjoyable. The choke slam turned into the backbreaker by uh, Giant. Shocked me. I was highly uh, entertained by that. It's uh, pretty comical, though, that for the second year, Bret Hart, Starcade, <laughs> biggest year, biggest match of the year, they decided, hey, man, we'll fly you in so you can do a 12-second run-in on uh, DDP Giant. Um yeah, I I just I don't under I don't that is something I will never understand. It's it's absolutely incredible just the misusage of Bret Hart. Uh I, I don't even know why you would have him in there. I don't even know why you have him backstage. Similar to like Lex Luger and all those guys backstage. I mean you have him do a minute and a half. I mean why? This isn't nitro, you know. But uh no I it's a weird placement, though. I mean, right before the main event, I thought maybe Bischoff and Flair would be here. and But obviously, what we know, um, maybe they didn't want to absolutely just kill the area with their decisions. But all things considered, this was uh, one of the better matches 
probably you know next to the triple threat match uh that kicked off uh pretty solid has some entertainment value to it so i can't shit on it too much this time last year brett said i'm not going to let that happen again well let's just wait and see 12 months down the line shall we yeah eric your thoughts on this match yeah i don't think i'm out of line when i say that when you take what you have in ddp and with this uh newest version of the giant who's about 70 pounds heavier than he was this time two years ago i don't think i'm out of line saying that these two had a much better match than they were probably intended to have mm-hmm. um they they worked it well they did the big the big guy small guy dynamic well they're both limited workers and i think in a match like this that almost helped them because they had to keep it basic they had to throw in a little bit of a schmoz and they had to have that contrived finish that you always have when the little guy goes over the big guy. And I think in this match, they did all of that pretty well. Bret Hart did not need to be here. I think it continues to diminish Bret Hart's character, if that's even possible, for him to be less relevant than he is now by having him not only run in on an undercard match, but mess it up and allow the face to go over. And so Bret is just inconsequential, nothing... Uh, heel who's not even on the show um and so if they're going to do a run and fine just don't burn brett like that but for the match that these two had their capabilities and what i expected this match to be i think this was the match on the card that really exceeded expectations if that can even be said for anything but the cruiserweights no i I agree completely for somebody who might be leaving i thought the giant gave a very spirited performance here and maybe, just maybe, his head has been turned by those figures we mentioned during the news. With a match like this, there's only really one way to book it. And that is the giant looking strong, Page fighting as hard as he can, just trying to force an opening to get into the diamond cutter position and execute it. That's the story of this match. It's the only one you can really tell with these guys. But they told it, and they told it flawlessly, in my opinion, from Paige trying to get it right at the very start of the match and not managing, from fighting out of the bear hug to eventually getting it on from the Giants finisher at the end. It must be said, when I watched that finish in real time, I didn't really know what had happened. I thought they'd actually botched the chokeslam and Paige just crawled over for the cover. It was only really when they showed the replay from the side of the ring angle where you could see that he really did mid-move turn from a chokeslam into a cutter. Uh, I think in the cold light of day, they probably would have wanted it to look clearer in front of the hard camera and the live audience. But in a way, I appreciated that you needed to look close to see what really happened. And for somebody who, as I'm sure you know, if you've listened to the show for the last three years and three years and one month, tries to look at things as closely as he possibly can, then that meant a lot to me. It really, really did. Both guys worked hard. Paige, you know, was almost sick. I'm not sick of saying it. No, I'm not. That's wrong. Whatever you get from Paige, you're going to get effort. No matter how big or small the match, he will give you every last grain of ability he has to make it washable and memorable. I don't know if he's going to be in the running for MVP this year like he was last year, but if he is, I'm certainly not going to complain. We'll wait and see what happens with the Giants in the comments that Bischoff's been saying to him backstage. I do think that sort of thing is going to sting him a bit. But let's wait and see. More spirited performances like this, and they might just want to keep him around. And if you're having a million dollars a year, being wobbled left and right in front of your face, it would certainly hypnotize me. 
So let's see what happens going forward. But yes, good effort from both these guys. And we needed a big babyface win after the horrors of what we got before. And maybe even what we are about to get now. Okay, then, Buffer. Let's do this. He lets me down immediately by calling this the mandatory match for the WCW world title. He also calls Kevin the best big man in the world today, which really worries me. Sign in the crowd. All I want for Christmas is for Nash to get smashed. And as Robert Plant put it in Stairway to Heaven, well, you know sometimes words have two meanings. And here's Tony. Nobody knows what is going through the mind of Goldberg. Well, I do. It's probably something along the lines of, oh, fuck. WCW world title, Goldberg versus Kevin Nash. It could just be me, but even with the stare down, this one doesn't feel quite right. In an odd moment, portions of the crowd start chants for both guys, yet they both die quickly. Both men pose, and now I think Nash is probably the more popular. So we lock up and Nash is backed into the buckle first. A reset and then Nash gets the first headlock on. Yes, for a match like this, that is important. Oh, I'll tell you what, that is definitely a Goldberg sucks chant. Uh-oh. He responds with a backdrop suplex and Nash repairs to the outside. Tony compares this to the Super Bowl, and although it's not my sport, I think it's safe to say he's wrong there. Framing elbow and knees in the corner by the challenger and the boot too. Bill powers him down, but Nash is covering up. And now a cross-arm breaker by Kev and a leg lock by Bill. Hey, guys, stop this now. Just throw each other around a bit. Ah, that's more like it, Bill. Give us the right hands. No, leverage move into the buckles by Nash. Boot in the corner again. Irish whip and misses the big boot. But the world champ isn't missing the spear. I'm afraid to say it was not a good one, though. The crowd, however, do not see it ending this early. And Nash with a deadweight low blow, if that makes sense. You've really got to see it. And then we get a double down. Kevin is up first, and there's the sidewalk slam. Leg hook and a two count. Elbow drop, also for a two. Kidney punch by Kevin, and that's all moves catered for by him now. Hair flip included. Oh no, he has a clothesline too. And that's enough for a two count. Neck breaker by Goldberg, and then an underhook power slam thing. Only good for a two. Kick to the face, which missed by a good foot. And a power slam. Still nothing doing. Disastrous looking spin kick by Goldberg, but we don't have much time to assess it. he doing here? This Wolfpack wannabe. Guess he's trying to prove that he deserves a right to wear those colors. He all he deserves is a spear from Goldberg. Bam Bam's in. Bam Bam Bigelow. Remember, this is no disqualification. Absolutely it is. And Bigelow, once again, uninvited. Whoa. Not supposed to be here. Sending him to jail. Meanwhile, Nash gets a break. And as you have just heard, that, that, that 
is how we get to 173 and 1 and world heavyweight champion Kevin Nash. Eric, we will talk about 173 and 1 and world heavyweight champion Kevin Nash shortly. Oh, we will. We will. But for now, if you can, try and assess the match for us. Why are any of us surprised at this finish after the parade of bullshit that, that preceded it? Oh, like, not Shocked but not surprised is how I would describe it. Uh, by the time we got here and the match didn't end... This, okay, let me start. This match needed to end one of three ways. Goldberg over in a basic squash in like three minutes. Just shock people by how dominant he is and plant the seeds for a long-term heel turn or something like that. Two, Goldberg over a very uh, fighting and spirited Kevin Nash. Or three, Kevin Nash over after a long fight that's back and forth and Nash maybe gets a surprising win or something like that. That's the only three ways this match should have ended. Of course, it was never going to end any of those ways because of how WCW books every match and particularly their main events. But you, the only way you get out of a winning streak like this, and we're going to talk about it more, but the only way you get out of a winning streak like this and transfer the heat to somebody else is for them to have a convincing win. They fizzled Goldberg's, all the momentum behind Goldberg, and they completely failed to transfer it onto somebody else who can get over. I don't think Nash is a main eventer. I think he looks like a main eventer. I think he talks like a main eventer. I think he wrestles like what Vince McMahon might think main eventers wrestle like. But for whatever reason, he's none of those pieces come together to form a credible main event professional wrestler. And Goldberg is a main event professional wrestling character, but he's not a wrestler. So these guys were never going to have a good match. So the only way to pay it off would be to have a finish that didn't insult the crowd. And predictably, WCW failed to pull that off too. And you better believe we're going to come back to that. Bob, your thoughts on the match, which has got some pretty solid reviews, actually. I'm not sure why. Well, I didn't think it was awful. Uh, at the beginning, it, it kind of did have a big match feel to it. Uh, so... But I don't see. I'm going to use this comparison. I don't know if it's a, if I would consider it a natural big match feel, or if it's like a forced natural feel. And I want to use this comparison. Hogan Savage WrestleMania Five. That's a natural big match feel. Yes. Warrior Hogan WrestleMania Six, kind of forced. You're shoving it down. You know, you're building up Warrior to get to this point. Clearly, you know he's going to be the next guy. Kind of a forced aspect. This is forced. I don't think anybody two or three months ago, and that's to say Halloween Havoc 98, coming out of that show, I don't think anybody's saying, hey, I want to see Kevin Nash against Goldberg. And then two months later, it's the biggest, it's the main event of your biggest show of the year. There's really not a, a major feud here going on. Everything that Eric just said with the outcomes seems to be, I would have to think the overwhelming consensus that Goldberg should be going over. I wouldn't want to see these guys in a 20 to 25 minute match. I don't think, I think in Goldberg's whole year, he's wrestled about 35 minutes combined. So doing half of that in one match is probably not ideal. Anyway, the finish here with the stun gun and everything or the cattle prod, whichever, um, I'm, it's just 
it's dumb it's amazing to me there and i'm sure we'll get into it later on but there's so much more that they could do with the goldberg run here and I'm, I'll, and I'll save that for later but you know you mentioned the undefeated uh you know when someone's undefeated and you try to garner that heat to someone else and you fail to do it i'm going to use this to a much lesser extent so bear with me but remember tatanka Back in 93, he was undefeated for like a year and a half. Sure, he only beat Rick Martel for you know, 18 months. So was Goldberg. Right, yeah. I mean, Goldberg's only beaten Hugh Morris and Barry Horowitz for a year and a half. But, you know, Tatanka was relatively over in the WWF in 93. And then they have him lose to Ludwig Borga. <laughs> With one finger on the chest. Right. And it's kind of like a similar finish. You know, a, a chair shot on the floor. Fuji comes out, chair shot to the floor. And at that moment, his heat, everybody loving him, dissipated. Like, instantly. Now, I'm not anticipating the same thing to happen to Goldberg. I think Goldberg is a bigger, a significantly bigger deal than Tatanka. But, that, you know, that's, I think, a, a relatively fair ex- example. Um, I think there was a bit of a shock. Like, they were, the crowd seemed to be like, oh, yeah, Kevin Ash won. Like, oh, this is great. And then about 15 seconds later, you look in the crowd and it's like, oh, shit, Kevin Nash won. <laughs> so like that shock of Goldberg losing at the initial, like, oh, yeah, wow, he's, he lost. Oh, this is great. And then, you know, you, you sit back down and you're like, okay, yeah, Goldberg lost. Oh, Kevin Nash. Oh, Kevin Nash. Oh. Well, that's not good. It's the, the decision here is uh, very short-sighted. And um, the match, the, like the match, isn't bad. I don't. I, I want to try to be um, not so negative as I was earlier. It's not bad. It's just it's just the wrong wrong direction to go in. And um, certainly when the when they fade to black here, it's just like with everything that's going on on this one show, it's just I, I, I'm left disgruntled without a doubt. It's like they circled all the wrong boxes on the chart that said, what are the finishes? And then submitted yeah. that by accident. Right. It's like Bischoff went to Terry Taylor and be like, hey, man, what do you think we shouldn't do? Right. And then Taylor was like, okay, well, we shouldn't have Bish. You shouldn't be a player. And he handed him like, okay, this is what we shouldn't do. And then Bischoff took like, okay, this is what we're going to do. Yeah, whatever you do for the life, whatever you do, don't have, I don't know, Scott Hall turn up with a cattle prod or something. You know, I'm sure I don't need to tell you not to do that, but just, just. Just be sure that you don't. You know, I I trust you not to. You know, I don't even know where I got that idea from. But I'm sure you wouldn't do anything. You wouldn't countenance anything remotely like it. And that's what we got. The match was ugh, the match for me was the other side of okay. I think it's been a bit overgraded in some circles. To be honest, I think it's because the two just didn't go out there and piss over themselves for ten minutes. People have given it in the mid two star range. It was okay. I thought the cross arm breakers and leg rolls were. Pff, pretty embarrassing to be honest now these two as i said in the blurb you don't want these two having wrestling portions in their match in that respect they've got nothing to prove to me just throw bombs at each other and when they did that goldberg maybe it's because he wasn't putting in his best performance because he knew he was losing for the first time but he was boshing moves left right and center missing the kicks his spear didn't look good i don't think he was mentally ready to lose this match and i think that's something we often lose sight of now we say so often on these shows, you win or lose based on the stroke of somebody's pen backstage. 
We all know that. But think about it, 173 times, if that is the correct number, Goldberg has been, t- has been told, go and go over clean with your finish. And here he's told in the back, when he's defending his title, at Starcade 98, Kevin Nash is pinning you. Now, that's got to have an effect. Now, I doubt Bill just sat there, nodded and thought, yep, okay, Chief, whatever you want. It must have gone through his head thinking, hang on, they're having me lose here for the first time. Bill Goldberg, he isn't a character. His whole gimmick is a guy who wins matches very handily, very easily with two big moves. Now he's former champion Bill Goldberg, who has won 173 matches very handily with two big moves, but has lost the biggest one of all, defending his championship at Starcade with the eyes of the world on him. For somebody who isn't exactly Luthes in the ring to start with, uh, I don't think they know what they're doing here. And Okay, guys, just quickly on this. To build on a point I made in the preview show last month, Goldberg did have to lose at some point, but even after 15 months, it still seems too soon to me. Either guy, uh, either you come in on that one. He's only had the belt for a few months. Yeah, I five, mean, five months, yeah. Yeah, that's nothing. I mean, in in in, in I guess in modern uh, times, it it's a decent little run. No one was ever going to have the belt for five years like Hogan did when he first, you know, was inserted as champion back in '83. But you need to have this guy beat some credible people. He beat Hogan. That's fine. Ho- beating Hogan in now doesn't mean as much as beating Hogan did when Warrior did it and completely failed to capitalize on it. He beat Hogan, and then he hasn't really beaten anybody of consequence. DDP, who's an upper mid-card guy that everybody knows is kind of an underdog anyway, in a match that I still maintain Goldberg gave too much to Page uh, in that one. And then he doesn't really do anything else until has a mid-card feud with Jericho that doesn't culminate in anything. And then he loses to Nash in the first true big fight pay-per-view main event that he's had. So I just think that they they squandered the opportunity to make this guy a true killer, and now he's just a guy who beat Hogan once and a bunch of mid-card guys and then lost how everybody else has lost in the last three years to outsider bullshit. So... I think he, yeah, I just, I just think he's put in that, in that sting Roddy Piper category now where it's like, well, you can't, you can't do it. You're not the guy next. And again, it doesn't really matter that he lost in slightly tainted circumstances. I mean, that was just the book as being far too clever. Let's come up with something stupidly outlandish, as I mentioned a couple of minutes ago. Now, that doesn't matter. Again, it's a one on the docket. He has lost the match. And even then, the commentators, didn't really play it up as that big of a deal. Not on this show or indeed on the next Nitro where Goldberg wasn't even there, where by rights you would have just had him being furious and just fucked off that he'd lost and he just tears into the arena and tries to destroy everybody. Now, maybe that's something you could build on here. But here, everybody just accepted it. Yep, got hit with a cattle prod, took the power bomb. One, two, three, no longer champion. You've just lost the belt like everybody else does when they hand it over to somebody else. There you go. One, seven, three, one. No. Okay, that's been your gimmick for 15 months. You always win matches. It isn't anymore. Okay, what are we going to do with you now? And that is a really quite depressing thought. Bob, just your thoughts on it. I'll pivot to now what we think of before we finish up this shudderer of a pay-per-view. Your thoughts on that and indeed of 
world heavyweight champion Kevin Nash. Because that didn't go too well last time either. Well, do you want me to go long-winded with this or just a quick su summary? <laughs> whatever you whatever you want to <laughs> You've been long-winded for the last two hours and 20 minutes. Just, just, just take it, my friend. It's Christmas. Okay. Take it. All right. So, as we know, he, is, he won in July. He beat Hogan. Nitro. Okay. He defends against Henning. First pay-per-view defense. Not a big match. Road Wild. It's a battle fucking royal against the NWO. He isn't even on Fall Brawl. Unless you count the dwarf. <laughs> Halloween Havoc, he's got Paige. You know, pretty good match. World War Three doesn't have a match. And now here, he loses to Nash. I have made a list of people and the amount of times that he could probably have gotten a pay-per-view match out of them. Let's assume that he were to have won here. We're going into 1999 with Goldberg as our champion. Yep. And this is in no specific order. These are people that just came to my mind. And the amount of pay-per-views that I think they could have got out of this. So it does not include TV matches, nothing. Because realistically, with television, you could just send Jerry Flynn and Fit Finley, and people are going to eat it up. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> you could easily get two more with Nash at some point. You can get one or two out of Scott Hall. You could easily get three with Hogan. You can get Giant at least once. Because they never had a pay-per-view match. I know they had a few Nitros, but never a pay-per-view match. Ric Flair. You can get him on pay-per-view. Sting. I'm going to give him two. Bret Hart. Easily two or three. We got to rebuild him a little bit here going into 99. But you can give him two or three. It's Bret fucking Hart. Give him a rematch with DDP. I think people would buy into that. He just beat the Giant. And now we kind of get into some maybe wild card guys. Bigelow. He just debuted. That could probably be one for sold out. Why not? He's got some name value from ECW. What about Randy Savage? Probably get some numbers there. You want to do a throwaway, put in Luger. You got Piper. Sure, that would probably suck, but it's a name. And then you got guys like Booker T. So, yeah, Booker T, Benoit, and Raven. Okay, so those are my last three names. Let alone with the first eight guys, I think I cover about a year and a half of pay-per-views that you probably could have still gone with uh, Bill Goldberg. Not even including potential people that you could poach from the WWF or free agents out there right now that just haven't been signed. I understand that we're not in an era where a guy is going to be champion for four or five years or longer, like Bruno and Backlund and Hogan. But no one was calling for Goldberg to lose the match. Their numbers were not warranting for Goldberg not to be champion and to steamroll everyone that I just mentioned. I'm sure you can have a few good matches or lengthy matches. This was a, a, a desperation shock value decision to get people to tune in tomorrow night on nitro for the buzz that Goldberg isn't champion anymore. And I think it's solely directed to because they want to win a goddamn television rating instead of making the most out of their money. So no part of, no part of me agrees 
with Bill Gober not going into 1999 as the WWE World Champion. And they didn't even win the television rating there either. Yeah, just quickly, Bob, and I will wrap up Starcade because I really, really want to, quite frankly. That's just maybe just 30 seconds. Kevin Nash, world heavyweight champion. How long does he hold the belt for? Does he really need it? Forget about Goldberg just for a second. Just Nash is champ. He, the promo he cut the next day on Nitro, it was like he wasn't really bothered. It was as if he was, I'm the booker, I made myself champion. Eh, because I can. Who cares? What do you think? Well, he... To, to justify it, he should be champion for at least like six months. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, but considering the politics that is WCW, I wouldn't be surprised if he wasn't if he lost about Super Brawl, similar to what like with the, with Sting and Hogan. You know, like he probably you know obviously clean and have it for a while. It could be it's going to have that. I feel like it's going to have that same impact. I don't see him being champion for more than two or three months. Eric, bring it home, world champion Kevin Nash. <sighs> wow. Um... With all the people they have on their roster, and it's the deepest roster in the history of uh, professional wrestling, um, Kevin Nash is not the person that I would choose uh, to carry that torch. I think he's a very limited worker. I think he's lazy, and I think he can become complacent, and I think he's a dick backstage. And I don't think you want any of that out of your champion. I don't think he's as over as he wants to uh, put off that he might be on television. And I think a lot of his uh, heat and his uh, charisma is still you know, that NWO flame burning, however uh, much it might be flickering now. Um, but I don't think it's a good move. I think you have other guys that can be the torchbearer for your company. I don't see Nash as a top guy. And to have him go over a guy who was potentially going to be the flag bearer for the next three years, I think it, 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 it creates a hostility in people like us where, you know, who knows if we'll just, who knows if this belt will ever mean anything because of how much they're going to hotshot it, because there's no way Nash is champion for a year. No way. Oh, no, absolutely not. I mean, he strikes me as the sort of person who would be happy to book himself to lose the title just so he can book himself to win it back again. Win it back, exactly. And I, that's, I, yeah. I can absolutely see him that three or four times over the next 12, 18 months. And the thought of that terrifies me. As you say, he's a dick backstage anyway, but now he is the biggest dick of all. He's got the pen. And as we move into 99, <laughs> stay with what us, if, listeners. What if, uh, what if Kevin Nash did like a Jerry Lawler in the USWA belt and he won it like 38 times in like seven months? It's best not to give them ideas. Okay. He's probably already thought about it. I'll tell you what, discuss that with him in your next booking meeting, Bob. Try Nash to right. Nash Nash been... wrestling 38 times. In the next <laughs> <time>. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> 38 times, six moves plus hair flip. Okay, right. We really need to try and give a out of 10 review for Starcade. I can barely even talk anymore. Bob, Starcade 98, thoughts, score out of 10 before I implode. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll keep it quick here. Not a good show. And I'll give it a rating of a 2.995. <laughs> Living the gimmick to the last. Eric, you gotta do it. Still up two, right? Eric, Starcade 98. Starcade should not have. Mat two matches that are good, a bunch of filler stuff in the middle, and then two of the more, if not most, questionable booking decisions that have been made over the last decade plus. Um, I'm just on the strength of the opening match to counteract the BS that came in the last hour. It it barely manages to make it a two out of ten show for me. I'm gonna go for a three. I I can't go for me. Anything two or below means out and out bad show. And I can't in all good conscience 
So no, I'm going to go a bit higher, three and a half, because he had one genuine, legitimate, work rate based match of the year contender, followed by one extremely good match. Those four are exempt. They are responsible for pretty much all of the 3.5 marks I've given this one. Two of the most, as you say, questionable, egregious, selfish booking decisions you could ever hope or not hope to see. And Jerry Flynn, no matter how magnificent his mullet is, on the biggest pay-per-view of the year. WCW, to coin Eric Bischoff's own phrase, what the fuck are you thinking? We open the final night show of the year with the NWO in a limo. Makes a change. With Bischoff and co. in the mood to celebrate. And then much like yesterday, our commentary team just sort of gloss over Goldberg losing. Shimmer Nobunanga versus the Cat ends with Miller winning with a spin kick that don't miss. Well, by more than a mile anyway. Charbo tries to get some help from Pepe, but that chicken wing from Norm is becoming inescapable. We see Raymond's mother and Canyon driving Scotty to her house, which is of course a huge mansion. They play Raven off as a whining brat who wants club soda and moans when the TV doesn't work. What next? A nitro party? Finley against Booker is done and dusted with T winning via a missile dropkick. Injury aside, he's had a good year I think. Here comes the nature boy and he has travel bags in his hands. He actually says he doesn't deserve a warm Baltimore welcome because he got his ass kicked last night. He does though want the boss to hear him out just one more time. And to do so making this point, he even strips down to his underpants. If Eric beats him in a match again, he will sign all his possessions over to Bischoff. But if Flair wins, Nature gets to run WCW for 90 days. He ain't leaving until Bischoff emerges and he handcuffs himself to the ropes to prove it. Thankfully Eric turns up before Flair strips off completely. We get some more talk about his bad heart, but here's Flair. When I die of a heart attack, it'll be on your girlfriend, pal. The boss is more than happy to agree to the Nature Boy's terms as taking everything from Flair will be his greatest pleasure. Prince Iakea versus Barry Windham ends with an easy pinfall win for Baza. Gene talks to one of the security guards from yesterday. He tells us that a cattle prod is used to herd cattle. You learn something new every day. And now Oakland and DDP have an interview segment. I'm stunned. He went to Hallen back last night, but in the end he had two words for the giant, diamond cutter. And also, he is pulling for Flair tonight. Nash admonishes Disco backstage for interfering last night and nearly screwing everything up. Guerrero and Guerrero face Ray and Kidman. Eddie is in a bad mood here, but he is able to take it out on Kidman by pinning him with the frog splash. The Wolfpack are here, and Nash has the belt in his hand. So I guess yesterday really did happen. When he got into pro wrestling, it was about three things. Money, power, and respect. Starcade wasn't about money. With his newfound power as champ, yeah, newfound, he will right the wrongs from Starcade. And as for Hall, what he did last night was not a favour. Nash has nothing but respect for Goldberg. Hmm, you're saying that now, aren't you? And as such, he demands they face each other for the belt on the first Nitro of 99. Disco gets greetings from Asbury Park, so he is no longer affiliated with the Wolfpack. 
We hear from Dr. Charles that toxins were found in Flair's body two weeks ago, and the commentator surmised this means he was poisoned. Bischoff, of course, writes that off as the words of a quack. Steiner vs. Conan now for the TV title. Luger again doesn't get attacked by the black and white, despite stopping Bagwell interfering, but then when he chases off Buff, Conan is easy prey for the recliner. Scott Hall vs. Brian Adams. Hall is very unhappy at being overlooked from yesterday's victory party. Kev, you ain't the guy I used to know. He catches Adams off the buckles into the edge for the win. So then, it is Ric Flair versus Eric Bischoff for the company, as you will hear right now. And we're still not done, because, as you will have heard, all of us enjoyed Ric Flair versus Eric Bischoff so much on the pay-per-view, we get to do it all over again on Nitro. Yes, just like Hogan v Sting last year, they build it up, build it up, build it up, and give it away again for free the next day after Starcade. You will have heard the aftermath of the match there, which was this time Ric Flair beating up Bischoff. Even then, he couldn't really do it. We still needed uh, Uncle Tom Cobbley, the 82nd Airborne, and all 50 extra pounds of Randy Savage, accompanied by who I believe is his real-life girlfriend. And I do mean girlfriend, you know, to say no more on that one. But Flair did indeed get the win. And in doing so, he became the storyline owner of the company for 90 days. Now... I finally did not have a problem with Ric Flair beating up Bischoff too little too late, but at least we got to see it happen. But it was for something that I do not believe that Flair in storyline would have cared about. He should not have been asking to own the company for 90 days. Why would he care about that? That should have been what Bischoff offered him. Flair should have been utterly hell-bent on just wanting Bischoff in the ring. Doesn't care about stipulations. He didn't even need to put his career on the line. Like I said, I've been used. Flair's already done that at least two times. I'm sick of seeing it. He should just want Bischoff final chance to kill him. And then Bischoff says, all right, I'll tell you what, you want it so much, you can run the company for 90 days. But if you lose, you're fired forever. I could accept that. Now, Flair shouldn't care about what he's given. He should be happy with beating Bischoff up. And we eventually got there. But Eric, like I said, the horse had long, long bolted. It's sad because that, 
their match on Nitro was awesome. It was worth um, And I didn't even mind the bullshit at the end, again, because it's just time and place. You can't ask for something that you know can't be delivered. And this being WCW and really professional wrestling in any of the three big companies, uh, there's going to be shenanigans. But I think it was exactly what it should have been at Starcade. And the fact that they gave you the bullshit insulting finish at Starcade and then paid it off for free the following night, um, I think that is just a, an, an egregious insult to anybody who paid twenty nine ninety five for that show. And I think it just further, we've talked about this time in memoriam. I think every time I'm on the WCW volume, we talk about how eventually the television audience will get wise that you think you're trying to outsmart it and that you're trying to grift it and that you think you're trying to, you know, play with its hard earned money and time. And I don't like to watch poorly written television shows and I don't like to watch wrestling that's poorly written and insulting. This segment was really, really well done, but its placement and its value was just so diminished because it happened for free on television the night after they undid any of the goodwill that could have and should have come from this outcome. So, you know, again, good segment in a vacuum, but in terms of where this fits in WCW right now, it's just unbelievable how many missteps they took in a 48-hour period. Yes, it was. And you could tell that they know they fucked up the day before because they tried so hard to make this seem like one of the biggest moments in the history of the company. Now, ding dong, the witch is dead. Flair has vanquished him. This is it. Now, this is almost bigger than Sting winning the world title last year at Starcade. This is our moment. We, And you have all seen it here on TV. Uh, yes, this is Flair's company now. They played it up as, we've done it. All of this, the NWO two and a half years, it's all over. Even Tony Schiavone got in the ring to celebrate it, for goodness sake. And all the baby faces there glad-handing. And I thought, no, the, the moment's gone. You're not convincing me, Bob. Yeah, I I agree with everything that uh, Eric just said. Um, I would not have even watched the Nitro after Starcade. So what they did here, um, which is what they should have done at the pay-per-view, I would not have even seen. Because I would be, after watching Starcade, I, I would have said to myself, I'm not watching fucking Nitro tomorrow because that shit sucked. Um, in the aftermath... I mean, at the end of the day, it's a non-wrestler. Eric Bischoff, a karate guy, whatever, martial artist. A point fighter. Yeah, it's just, you know, it just came. I was kind of like rolling my eyes. I understand the emotion from Flair for all the, again, like the mental aspect of it and everything you try to do to his life and career, whatever. But at the end of the day, it's just. Why is everybody entering the ring? It's Eric Bischoff. Eric Bischoff. <laughs> you would have thought that he, that like this was Hogan '96, and Flair finally did it. Like finally beat what? No. It just it, this is a forced attempt of making a big deal, mm -hmm. and. You know, it's amazing that they did this for Bishop because if you do this for any wrestler, the amount of things that he had done to Flair, you have an instant heel. Even new guy, like if Scott Steiner was doing all this shit, even a guy like Buff Bagwell for Christ's sake, anybody. Brian Adams, Prince Ikea, anybody, any any human, like any wrestler. 
you would have a star, but it's just, it's wasted on Bischoff. And it's, you know, you, you're, just, you're just left after the show thinking to yourself, why? I mean, Flair beat a guy that he should have beaten, but he lost to him last night. I just, I don't know. I, I wouldn't, it kind of makes Flair look foolish to me. And, it, and it's, it's dating back to that perception of Flair and how much it's diminished for what he's accomplished in just the last, you know, 12 to 16 months or whichever. It's just, it's truly, it's incredible of just how much they've neglected to maintain his status in WCW. And after all of that, what does he get? Ownership of the company for 90 days. Not even the ownership of the company. He's there for 90 days. Right, And that's, again, it's a good thing you, you mentioned this. I was probably going to completely forget about that. Why would you have a stipulation where you know that there's an end game, like an end point? Exactly. Because, yeah, okay, Bischoff lost. Right, so like Bischoff loses, okay? So the next week, he can just be like, listen, Flair, you got 83 days. Exactly. After 83 days, your life's going to be living hell. You can do whatever you want to me, but come April 1st or whatever. Yeah, we're going to get to April. We're going to have the same again. Bischoff's being the same overbearing character. We're going to be right back to square fucking one. Exactly. (laughs) And we've got all of that to come, dear, dear listener, as we move into 1999. And with what little strength I have left, I am going to bring this show to a close and take us oh so gladly out of the time machine and back to December 2018. Oh, boys, that was a ride. Bob Colling Jr., thank you for sticking it out. And, you know, 29.95 poorer you might be, but it was fun getting there. Jeez, Louise. I'm gonna have to go to my liquor store and spend twenty nine ninety five. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, all the brandy went very quickly. Yeah, no Bob, wh- wh- where can people find you when you're not necking it back? Yeah, well, you can get me. You can find me on Twitter, Yo Bobby Boy eighty nine, and then uh, I have a podcast as well, Icopod, where we uh, started with the first raw in ninety three. We made it to the Survivor Series ninety three, and uh, I'm somehow still alive with that. And then uh, wrestlingrecaps.com for various uh, wrestling show reviews, columns, stuff like that. So that's where you can find me at if you ever want to get in contact with me. And Eric, a thousand thank yous for sitting out WCW with me. Yeah, I'm going to go watch Heatwave or WrestleMania 30 now um, after that. <laughs> I, um, yeah, that was, um, that was not a good show. It was not a good show, but I think we gave the best of it for our listeners over the last what's going to be three hours or so. Eric, where can people find you, my friend? Oh, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Modern Day Lawyer. And just uh, hit up the Patreon that Rory will give you the information for and leave a five-star review and a comment on iTunes. Perfectly put, sir. Yes, I am Rory McNamara. You can find me on Twitter at PlanetsDropUV. You can also find me in many other places as well. I am on the newly revamped Bigelow34.proboards.com, thanks to our friends at A Place to Be Nation for getting that one back up and running. I'm also one of my brief forays onto Facebook, easy to find on the Our Vantage Point page. Shout out to the boys on the Our Vantage Point podcast, another superb retro wrestling viewpoint there. You can, of course, find us on Twitter at Wrestling20YRS. You can also find us on Facebook at the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. I am in charge of the Twitter. Chris Lacey has the Facebook. Listen to us via iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever they're calling it these days. And yes, as somebody did three days ago after we record this, thank you so much for the five-star review. But please, algorithms or whatever they are in iTunes land, please leave us a comment as well. A, it gets us out there. And B, we can find out everything you do like about this show. Everything you don't like about this show, because we're moving into a brand new year of material now. 
of maybe tweaking things a little bit whilst always keeping the ethos and all the things we know you all listen out for every month. So please do let us know any of your thoughts on this show. Just keep it constructive, as I'm sure you all will. Yes, we are indeed on Patreon as well. Two tiers for you. One dollar will get you every single show the very day it is ready. You get the splurge of shows at the end of the month. Don't need to worry about that. You get them anytime when they are all set and raring to go. So as we tape this on the on December the 9th, if you are a $1 Patreon, you all will you will already have heard our ECW show and our Capital Carnage WWF show. If you want to up to the $5 tier, or maybe we should make that the $29.95 tier, but for now it is still $5, you will get at least one per month special show out of timeline, completely unconnected to the main show. Uh, Eric, you were on the December one this month. Yes, Chris Lacey and I review the wrestling album from 1985 and crossover with Lacey's podcast, Show and Tell with Tunes. I listened to that last night. Fantastic listen. Also, as a real bonus for you, well, I'll leave you to judge whether it is a bonus. For all Patreons, whatever tier you're on, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, up until the 26th, we will put up there for you the entire wrestling album. So listen to Eric and Chris's review of it. Then grab yourself the whole thing while you can. But... Of course, please remember, our main shows will always be free. We will never, ever charge you for those. They are always our main focus. The bonus shows are exactly that. They're bonus shows. We are, after all, the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. And we, so help us, are going to keep being the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. We'll never go behind the paywall. All your WWF, WCW, WCW, ECW, ECW <laughs> shows every single month completely free. Yeah, and- yeah, it's coming. Yeah. It's, it's getting there. It's just XPW. You, that's twice. You really want the XPW show to hurry up, Bob. You really, really do. You should be careful what you wish. No, sign me up for CZW. I, uh, <laughs> I, I could do that too. Oh, uh, not our friends at Combat Zone. I'll tell you what, when it gets yeah. to O2 and we got ROH there as well, it's going to be. I'm just going to. Lacey doesn't want TNA, so he's getting TNA. Well, that's it. Oh, that's boy. decided. <laughs> but just say for December, our extra, 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 extra five shows for you. You would have heard the WCW one. Oh, you poor, poor souls. Two WWF shows, one looking at Capital Carnage, one looking at all the Raws and Rock Bottom. ECW show taking you up to their January pay per view. And <laughs> Eric, we've got to raise ourselves for this one. We've got the award show coming. And uh, I've got pages and pages of notes. I've been down in the lab uh, with my abacus and my calculator and my jeweler's loop. And uh, I think we're going to have a, a good show. That one will be our volume four. So please tune in for that one. But thank you so much for listening to this. You know, sometimes, just sometimes, it's the poorer pay per views that really, <laughs> really bring the emotions and real analysis out of us. And if you've stayed with us for the three hours and 10 minutes or however long this show, we'll clock in at. We really do want to thank you. So it's the end of the year, a year which we did have a fair bit of hardship in March, April time when Bob stood down and we did wonder for a few minutes, only for a few minutes, what we were going to do. But I was offered the job of taking it on, leading the charge, so to speak, and I was only too happy to do so. Myself, Chris and Chris, we're going to keep this going for as long as we possibly can. With our esteemed team of pundits, we will bring you the very best and all the very worst of retro wrestling for a very, very long time to come. So I want to thank you, whether this is, this is your first show, whether you've been listening since the beginning, whether you first came along last month and you started working back through, whatever. We massively, massively value you and we value your input too. 
Twitter, Facebook, iTunes reviews, any of the message boards, just drop us a line and we will respond to you. But from Bob Collin, from Eric Landstrom, a very Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, and we are indeed desperately out of time. And I really, really, really have got to go. Bob, throw me a brandy. <laughs>